VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. It's Tuesday, June the 28th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams is the producer of the show. If you are in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue and on the air, 273-5211, or elsewhere, it's toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. All right, well, I saw someone sent me this, a screenshot from Radio Bell Island 93.9 FM. I think that's a Facebook group. Uh, regarding the fact that Canada's women's ball hockey team just repeated as world champs, beat the Czech Republic 3-2, so that's back-to-back world championships for our women. Again, like so many strange, well, well, let me start that again. Like so many sports, this province produces some extraordinary athletes. We all know the prob- the uh, the prominence of a softball players here, but ball hockey players as well. So one of the players mentioned in this screenshot is Bell Island's very own Shaylin Clark. She's been on the team many times now. It stands to reason she's not the only person from this province that was a member of Team Canada's Women's Ball Hockey World Championship team. If you know any more of them, they want to get a shout-out here on the show, you fill me in, and away we go. And, oh, yeah, Alex Noakes is the Stanley Cup champion. <laughs> okay, let's keep going. This is a cool story. For the first time in history, women rowers down at Kitty Vitty Lake, uh, gearing up for the Royal St. John's Regatta, were able to row the long course. People refer to it as the men's course, but I guess it's now the long course. So the long course is 2,450 meters, which feels like 50,000 meters. Uh, the short course is 1,225 meters. So forever, women have been asking, how come we don't have an opportunity to row that long course? And now there's all sorts of controversy in this world about men and women playing sports together and the whole issues surrounding uh, trans athletes, what have you. I'm not going down that path, but this is not like that at all. Women rowing against women on the long course because they chose to row the long course. So two such crews took part in the come-home races this past weekend. Race number five. So Studio Verso, which is a team of veteran rowers, including Connie Duffett, mentioned specifically in the news item, she rowed the long course uh, wearing her grandfather's 1936 regatta medal. Fantastic. She says that as they were passing the ladies' cakes, the cocks balls out. Let's make history. So the other crew in that particular race, RBC Dominion Securities, uh, so the winning time was 11.26. It's a pretty respectable time. I've rode on that course. It is extremely difficult. Well, in my personal estimation, 11.26, a nice quick spin as far as I'm concerned. So here's some of the quotes coming from one of the uh, younger rowers in the RBC crew. Mostly uh, young. Many of them are still teenagers. Okay. She, uh, this girl, her name is Kate Kelly. She's 18 years of age. I thought it was going to be really hard, but it was not that bad. Uh, as I actually liked it more than the shorter course. What? <laughs> Not that bad. Uh, I guess they are obviously fit as fiddles and raring to go, but that's pretty cool. The row on the long course, love it. All right, so I mentioned the come-home-year races. We had a chat with the head of Canadian operations for Toro, the ride-sharing app, and many of you have reached out to me saying you were trying to put your vehicle on that app, but in consultation with your own insurance provider, they said if you do, it voids your policy. Turo apparently is actively working with the insurance companies and brokers here to fill them in about how their insurance coverage works if and when you put your car on that app. There's been about a thousand rides booked for this particular summer. So maybe a little bit more patience and maybe, just maybe, your insurance provider will understand how Turo approaches insurance coverage for your vehicle and away you go. And then I read this story where a couple of travelers making their way 
to this province for a little trip around, uh, especially on the Avalon Peninsula, apparently. And I thought it was a cute story, a fun story at first, and then it became a bit of an eye roller. So Gail Bridgman, who lives in Australia, and Karen Burke of Ontario, they had planned a trip here for some six months, had a rental car uh, prepared for a rental car. Some sort of mix-up happened, and when they got here, no rental car. So what did they end up doing? Renting a U-Haul. So the price of uh, an average rental here for one for one week is $1,100 a week. That seems pretty dear to me. The U-Haul, the 20-footer, uh, 320 plus 89 cents a kilometer. So apparently it's still fairly expensive, but therein lies the rub, right? You know, for many people who make their way to this province, especially for the first time, they won't be just solely focused on one community, one part of the province. They'd like to traipse around and see what we have to offer, which is a lot. So... I know the government can't magically create rental car fleets, but you can only hope that it doesn't hold back some prospective travelers, even though we know the numbers for airline travel and for Marine Atlantic are way, way up. It looks like a pretty good tourism season, and let's hope it is exactly that. Oh, someone wanted me to throw this out there. For those of you who like the classic cars, the vintage automobiles, which I do, you know, really appreciate the styling of the automobiles from decades gone by. So there is indeed an automo uh, classic auto show at Confederation Building this morning. Starts at 10 a.m. if you're so inclined. It's the, what is it called? The da, 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 da. It's automo Automotive Heritage Month. So the 55th anniversary Coasters Tour, starting here in town, makes its way all the way to Duncan, B.C. Sometime in September. All right. Um, what is this scribble? Oh, yeah, insofar as the, the tourism attractions go. We know what we have to offer, but can you just imagine if for the first time in your life you see some of the things that we just take for granted? Icebergs being number one, but now the capelin are rolling and the whales are close to shore. You can only imagine the people who have visited this province and they make their way, whether it be to Middle Cove Beach or out to St. Vincent's to see the amazing humpback show that's on display in that community. Anyway, hopefully they have a great time. But to get here, especially if you're traveling via air, look, if you have traveled in the recent past, especially in some of the busier airports in the country, Pearson and Toronto notably, the chaos seems to be a real massive problem, and it's only getting worse. The federal government wants me to believe that it's getting better, but that's not how the news stories go. Now, maybe sometimes media outlets will pick up on the worst stories, report those, because they'll get clicks and reads. So with all of the cancellations and delays and sitting in the aircraft on the tarmac for hours on end, one of the obvious outcomes has been lost luggage. So I'm actually traveling late this week. I'm taking a break. But if you have traveled recently, give us an idea about how it's gone for you. Some of these stories regarding lost luggage, I mean, there's nothing worse. You get where you're going, you go to the carousel, and lo and behold, your bag didn't make it. And we all, you know, try to pack a carry-on, which becomes all the rage. Some people pack massive carry-on because they don't want to pay for any additional luggage they may bring. I wish I could just take a carry-on, but I'm going for too long. But if you want to share your travel stories... Let's do exactly that. You know, some of the staffing issues. Like, remember when the transport minister sort of said something along these lines. His Canadians have forgotten how to travel. What? Spare me. It seems to me that the airlines and support staff at the country's airports, they've forgotten how to service a traveler. It's not my fault. Right? How could it be my fault? So, anyway, the confusion in the airport is something I think of concern to many. And we do know that some of it was blamed on the vaccine mandate, which was dropped on the 20th of June. You know, whether it be with the questions and random testing and all the rest of it, 
it doesn't seem to me that that's made much of a difference. And that's the anecdotal evidence. That's all I have to go on. I haven't been in Pearson Airport, Pearson International. But if you want to bring it uh, to our attention, tell us your travel story, good or bad, we're happy to have you on the show this morning. And regarding the vaccine mandates in particular. So it was time they went away, in my personal opinion. But now I see all the stories about the protesters making their way back to Ottawa, uh, beginning on Canada Day, intending to stay there the entire summer. So what are, what's the protest about now? You know, it was all the freedom rally cry, okay, and the mandates, fair ball. But now that they're gone away, I know there's still quarantine requirements for unvaccinated Canadians returned to the country and what have you, but what exactly is being protested? It's a sincere question. So if you are like-minded and maybe even making your way to Ottawa, if you want to fill us in as to what exactly the protest is about this go-around, let's do it. All right, where's this particular story? Not very organized here this morning. Okay. So we know that during the pandemic in particular, consumption of a variety of things, whether it be alcohol or drugs, went way up. And we'll get into some of the drug-related matters here in a minute, the more illicit drugs. Now if you're ordering through Cannabis NL, online customers for cannabis products, there are some potential privacy concerns going on here now. As of the 31st of July of this year, all of the information, your personal information, is going to be transferred to an American-hosted platform. So, you know, there's always going to be privacy concerns here with the compilation and control of data anyway. So names, addresses, and more are going to be held now on American servers. Someone might say, well, you know, what's the big deal? A server is a server is a server. It might be jeopardized by a hack regardless of where the server is located. But this one has an additional complication. We know and we've been told that working in the cannabis industry or a consumer of cannabis may make travel and entry into the United States a little bit more complicated than it should be. Okay. So now, if that's the case, with the American officials, border security, are they going to have easier access to your personal information and possibly deny you entry into the United States because of your either working in the industry or using cannabis? It seems to be ludicrous to me that any government can turn you away if you smoke a joint on Friday, you travel on Saturday, you arrive in whether it be Washington, D.C. or Paris, France or wherever else. But this is, you know, sensitive information. So I think we've reached out to the NLC, have we, Dave, to talk about how this is going to work. They've actually asked permission of their customers for their data to be transferred to these American servers. So they're doing the right thing. They're giving the option to you. But, you know, everything comes with a bit of complication when we talk about access to your personal information, what it means for whether it be ease of travel or to compromise your identity or to rob you blind. But that's something that's happening at the NLC, at Cannabis NL. If you're a customer, you want to talk about what you are choosing to do, let's have that conversation here this morning. Okay. We've had a couple of conversations on the show, and I know this becomes highly controversial. And in the province of British Columbia, they've asked for an exemption from the criminal code from Ottawa to have people allowed to decriminalize possession of 2.5 grams or less of illicit drugs, methamphetamines, cocaine, all the rest, opioids. And the country is certainly not completely ready for the conversation, but the fact of the matter is the reality on the ground is thousands of uh, Canadians are dying from opioid overdose every year, and it's only getting worse. The tainted supply, the fentanyl that is mixed in with some of the drugs that people are using. You know, 
I don't know how and why we can turn a blind eye to it, if there are things we can do. So with the decriminalization of cannabis, or the legalization, pardon me, of cannabis in the country, the worries were clear. People said, well, there's going to be a massive surge of people that are smoking weed. And people are going to be getting behind the wheel, uh, impaired, and that's going to be a real nightmare on the provinces, uh, the country's highways and byways. Neither of them happened. So if we can do something about harm reduction policies, safe injection sites, talk about a safe supply. I know people will think, well, you're simply enabling folks to use these hard, illicit drugs. But that's never been the case anywhere else where they've taken these steps. If you decriminalize something, do you think realistically, do we think that people will see that headline and say, well, today is the day. Today is the day. Heroin for me. It's never been the case anywhere else in the world where they've taken these steps. The outcome has been crime related to drugs, down. Overdoses, down. Numbers of people using, down. Cases of HIV, down. Cases of hepatitis, down. There's a lot of upside to this. I know I'm in a distinct minority to even be thinking about and talking about these things, but realistically, people are dying, thousands of Canadians, and of course, it's not just the individual who has died who's facing anything here. It's their families. It's their friends. It's their community. It's public safety. So I know people don't want to hear those things, but that's unfortunately where we are. All right. So, and I mean, we talked to a lady from the Canadian Health Coalition yesterday. It was a good conversation regarding prescription drugs in particular. They're focusing in on uh, universal health care, pharmacare, long-term care, a comprehensive deep dive, part of a webinar series that began last night. When you see stories about people making the choice whether or not they're going to refill their prescription or not, or to take half a dose versus a full dose, simply because of the rising cost of living, it's another conversation that I think is worthy of more discussion. There's been opt-in reports done at the federal level, and yes, it costs money. Of course it costs money. But when you have over 100 uh, public prescription policies and programs in the country, another 100,000 mixed bag for private offerings, the pharmaceutical industry has basically allowed us to create a competitive landscape for their benefit. You know, so think about the purchasing power if we had federal plans to include more and more federal coverage of pharmaceuticals. You know, it comes with a double-edged sword requiring a real careful approach taken by clinicians and physicians in the country, but those stories are really something else. When we think it down the road, one, one or two more steps. If you've been prescribed something for your cholesterol or blood pressure or some other chronic illness, whatever the case may be, hopefully you've been prescribed it appropriately and for the obvious reason. But if you don't take your medication, what becomes of you? What's the likelihood to become more and more ill, more and more con uh, engagement with the healthcare system, the potential to be hospitalized? There's nothing more expensive in the country than a night in the hospital bed or in the clink. So those types of discussions, I know they're big, broad, potentially complicated issues, but they're the kind of conversation that I think we're going to have to be having more and more. Just a quick one. This story, and again, I'll set the stage by saying that former Premier Ball, former leader of the PCs, Chess Crosby, neither did anything wrong and broke any rules when they donated huge sums of money to their own campaigns. And there is a difference between a politician donating to his own campaign or his own party versus private citizen, private company, organized labor, making huge donations. The story regarding Mr. Crosby, he donated over $300,000 or $300,000 last year to the PCs. Okay. You know, that's his money. The rules allow it to happen. 
Same thing when Premier Ball donated over $230,000 to his own leadership bid. Okay. The problem is obviously clear, though. We cannot have that much money able to flow to politicians or their parties. It is not good for any of us. And Mr. Crosby sort of said it out loud himself. Here's the quote. Uh, the, 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 the. Crosby said it's already difficult for opposition parties in particular to, to attract donations. Quote, because they'd rather give their money to the party in power in hopes of getting some kind of favor or preferment. Exactly. It doesn't mean that everyone who makes a donation is going to get some favor from the government. Not necessarily, but there's certainly a possibility. So why can we not put the public pressure, all of us, because you talk about it all the time, transparency and accountability and government doing favors for their bodies, hiring their bodies. This is an endless cycle here, regardless of who's in the seat of power, provincially or federally. So why don't we do something about it? It doesn't take much other than the political will. We know why they're hesitant to do it. Because if they know there's people in the province with deep pockets that are willing to stroke checks of $10,000, $50,000, $250,000, then it makes it easier for them to run their campaigns and their operations. Let's take away that ease from them. You want to get elected? Rely less on the money and go bang on on doors, right? Wear out some shoe leather. So we all benefit if they implement some reasonable campaign finance reform and additional democratic reforms in this province. There is no way it makes any sense in this world that a private citizen can write a check for a quarter of a million dollars to a politician or a party. Even the federal government is light years ahead of us. There are bigger things in your world that are of concern to you this morning. Price of everything. I was going to say the price of food or gas. It's the price of everything. So, we can walk and chew gum. We can try to clean this stuff up. And some of that absolutely starts with the pocketbook. So, Hopefully you can put it somewhere up your priority list because cleaning up things inside of politics ultimately will be to our benefit. It just will. I know it costs money to operate a campaign, but that's not my problem. That's not your problem. It's their problem. And let's not make it as easy as just the richest amongst us. If you all have concerns with the muckety mucks and the 1% and the elites or however you like to refer to them, let's not make it as easy as it is today in this province to donate whopping sums of money. All right, we're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Our email address is openline at VOCM.com. Dave, did I see someone in the queue wanted to talk about the women's ball hockey? I'd like to have that chat because we know Shailen Clark was a member of the back-to-back -back world champs, but if that if that person has uh, more information, we're happy to have them on too. All right, we said we're on Twitter. We said we have an email address. Let's get a tune on the go. Today in 1990, at the top of the charts yesterday was Lips Incorporated with Funky Town. This tune replaced it at the top of the charts this morning. It also features some funky guitar licks. It's Paul McCartney and Wings with Coming Up. When we come back, you're up. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's begin on line number four. Good morning, Gary. You're on the air. Uh, morning, Patty. How are you? Great, sir. How about you? Oh, best going, sir. Uh, at, the at the beginning of your program, you mentioned about the uh, women's uh, ball hockey yeah. championship. Yeah. And he said... Uh, if you uh, you mentioned about three women from Newfoundland who play. Well, I, I didn't know. I, someone sent me a screen grab, so all I had in front of me was the fact that they won, and uh, a lady from Belle Isle and Shailene Clark is a member of the team. I was thinking out loud, there must be other players from this province, and apparently you know of one. Uh, yeah, her name is uh, Don Tulk. Terrific. Where's she from? Uh, Don was uh, raised, uh, she was raised in uh, Deer Lake. So originally she's from the Northern Peninsula, I think it's Porto Simpson. 
and a couple of years ago she moved to uh, St. John's. Wow, fabulous. So we at least have two members of that particular team. Dave said to me that it might even be a third. He also mentioned that he thinks the men won the Worlds as well. So we're trying to find out some more information. I had a very quick look online, and right. it was kind of remarkable to me that there wasn't much there. I couldn't really, even, I couldn't even find the uh, uh, the roster, and the old roster that I did see just said where the who the players were, not where they were from. So I'm kind of flying blind here. Okay. So Don Tulk, Shailen Clark, congratulations to those two. Any other members of those teams, whether it be men or women, uh, you want to tell us about it on the show? I hope you do exactly what Gary did and give us a call. Very good, Patty. Thanks, Gary. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye-bye. So there you go. Don Tulk, Shailen Clark, love it. Uh, da -da 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 -da. Let's go to line number one. Tom, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Good morning to you. I wanted to uh, reflect a lot about the medical situation and the challenges we have with active doctors. And last week, you uh, you mentioned that, uh, that the province is buying into a program that will uh, that the doctors will uh, need to use to prescribe uh, antimicrobials like antibiotics and stuff like that. And and the idea is that uh, the test results and the patient's information will all be fed into an app, and then that will determine whether or not we should be using, uh, we should be prescribing uh, antibiotics because, of course, of course, the province and the country and the world has a problem with uh, antibiotic-resistant uh, bugs. And one of the worst things you can do is is give people who don't need antibiotics an antibiotic. And and you know, and, and that you know, in in that process, um, Doctor uh, Daly, who is uh, infectious disease and medical microbiologist at Mon said that uh, they, that although Newfoundland's and Labrador's usage of uh, antimicrobials has gone down since 2017, we still need to reduce it by 50%. And, and so, yeah, go on, sorry. No, I mean, it's exactly right. He also is very forceful in the way he talks about it. You know, it's not like these are being done by mistake. He's actually calling out his colleagues. You know, they have the training and the understanding and the expertise to know better, but yet I guess, you know, succumbing to maybe pressure because we all have all this information in front of us, right? You know, you go to WebMD, you've got yourself self-diagnosed. You think you want this test or that drug, and you go into the doctor's office armed with that information and maybe put some pretty serious pressure on them. A group that's already... Overworked, burnt out, overwhelmed. Maybe sometimes they just say, all right, to get you the hell out of my office. Hereby. I know you want to have a cold, but here's some antibiotics, which is not for colds. So this has been going on for far too long. It's unfortunate that it's come down to having to incorporate a piece of software, but if it reduces the overprescribing of these drugs, not my words, Dr. Daly's words, then I suppose we are where we are. Yeah, I mean, like you said, he was, it was incredibly uh, forceful. Uh, you know, he said in some cases laziness or... Uh, inability, so I guess too busy, or unwillingness to uh, evaluate whether that drug would be a good choice, and also whether it was too broad-based. You know, so sometimes you'll throw throw you know a bomb at something that only just needs a strategic little cut. So you know, it, the thing is, as I reflect upon it, you know, we've got this challenge with um, with doctors and the shortage of doctors, and, and and obviously our budget is just massive, and we really can't afford to spend any more money. Although I know people. People don't want to hear it. We, you know, we have to figure out how we can do this stuff less expensively, and, and you know, then you've got a model like Dr. Todd Young out at Mainstream Medical, and you had a lady on a few weeks ago whose husband was really suffering, and and Dr. Young managed to order tests and virtually, all virtually, didn't see the person. That, I mean, they lived in St. John's, and 
And, you know, it turns out he had a brain tumor and, and, and got it dealt with. And, you know, the question has to be asked, you know, if, because, you know, if you take a step back and you look at why we have a challenge with a shortage of doctors, you know, it, it, there was a time, and not that this was a good thing, but it, there was a time that anybody could have a, could, could pump doctors out back in, back in the old days. You know, there was thousands of little, little schools and, and there was no oversight and you had, you had people who were charlatans and didn't, didn't know what they were doing. And then, and then the uh, different associations were formed within the countries and created oversight. But then, then, then you get situations where MBAs and very smart people then take over these organizations. Like for example, you know, about the gentleman who is the head of the Newfoundland Library Medical Association was the, was the highest uh, ranking government official at one point. And, and so now you have very intelligent people, very smart people trying to maximize the returns for their members. And, and so now the, the pendulum has swung the other way. And now we have not as, you know, we're making, creating barriers. And for a good example is, you know, international medical professionals having to jump through maybe a couple more hoops than they need to. I mean, obviously there has to be hoops to ensure that, that we have, um, you know, well-trained people who can communicate and who can adhere to our medical practices. So yeah, I, I just reflect upon it and, I, and I'm thinking, you know, we can do better during the health court consultations. You know, I ask the question, couldn't there not be more when it comes to the initial seeing of patients, you know, could there be a, an interface where you put all your information in and the computer does a lot of the work. And then when you go to see your doctor, then that person now has a lot more information and, and, you know, is there a way we can, we can leverage technology to, uh, to maximize the care that we can provide with the dollars we have. Well, it's going to have to be the way, you know, for many people, healthcare still feels uh, the same way to them. It's you go to someone's clinic, their office, the emergency room, you see someone in a white coat who's a doctor or a nurse practitioner, what have you, you can reach out and touch them. You get to read their, their body language and vice versa. When in fact, there's many opportunities, I would think legitimately that from the comfort of your own home with zero travel required, an appointment that can be kept on time and you can simply have an exchange with the doctor on the other end of the computer screen. And it works for so many people. I've never had to do it, but I have, I will say, I'm actually a registered on uh, Patient Connect NL to try to get into one of these collaborative clinics because I do not have a family doctor. But if I had something the, of immediate concern, guarantee you I'm going to Medicuro or one of the other online virtual offerings to see how I can get, you know, get attended to sooner than waiting for this Patient Connect NL wait list for me to be placed in one of these uh, patient rosters at one of these clinics. I mean, if everybody, I mean, I'm sure there are medical devices we could all have at home that could be connected that could give them you know blood pressure your temperature like key things that they take the time when you sit in their office and and i just look at things like that and, and think we need to figure out and do it as quickly as possible how we can help especially people in rural parts but the, the concept that you would go to an emergency room and waste your time and, and and it's not an effective environment and then be surrounded by other sick people We've, there's got to be a way we can do this better and more efficiently, and we need to all put our heads together try and make it happen. I would think that's probably about right. Uh, and there's someone coming up to talk about a doctor shortage because, we, you know, even more focus, more attention given to virtual care, it doesn't eliminate the need for doctors. Of course it doesn't. There has to be a doctor on the other end or a nurse practitioner, licensed practical nurse, whatever the case may be. And we're still going to need plenty of doctors, even though, and I still can't really wrap my mind around this, 
There's more doctors working in this province than ever before. There's more nurses working than ever before. I believe that that's accurate for nurses. I know what it is for doctors. I guess it's, you know, part and parcel with all the chronic illnesses and the prevalence of them and potentially the age of the, the average age of the population probably leads to more interaction with healthcare. But virtual care is going to be part of the transition or the transformation, as some may call it. Uh, anything else this morning, Tom, before I take a break? No, that's great, everyone. Stay safe. Have a great week. You too. All the best. Take care. Okay, okay bye-bye. Uh, just filling in a couple more blanks here on the Balhaggy. So my buddy One Eye sent me a note that includes, let's see here, I'll open it back up. Kristen Coos was also on the women's team, so that makes three. Shailen Clark, Don Talk, and Kristen Coos. And the men's won the gold as well. Also beat the Czechs. And a young fellow from this province, Connor Donahue, at least one of the boys was a Newfoundlander or Labradorian. So the gold on both fronts. Anyway, that's great. Let's go ahead and take a break. Don't go away. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Uh, welcome back to the program. Uh, let's go to line number three. Clarence, you're on the air. Uh, good afternoon, Patty. First time caller. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, I like your show. You're doing a, you're doing a pretty good job yourself. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> uh, you are. I listen to you day and night, and you're right on. Um, my problem today, Petty, concerning the, the St. John's and Labrador housing. Okay? Okay, NL housing. Got it. Yeah, okay. Now, I turned 58 there on May the 30th. Uh, the 20, and the, the 31st of May, uh, I got my notice to be out in three months. Okay. I, I haven't got a clue where to turn to. I got two months left, and I'm dealing with the Stellar Circle now now two years. I got an, I got an application to St. John's and Labrador Housing. I called them twice a week, and all they says to me, I'm on the list. And and right now, and my health problem is not that good because I, I I got I got pneumonia in the chest. I got I lost me right right eye two years ago. I'm full of asthma and everything. I haven't got a clue who to turn to. And right now, and social service, I'm going to get the social service. I get $160 every two weeks to live on. And I'm going to clue what to turn to. And I got two months left to be out. Uh, before we get to the wait time, which is unfortunate, how did you lose your eye? Well, I'll be honest with you, Patty. Uh, two years ago, we had that bad snowstorm. Mm-hmm. I was upstairs, me, up my stairs, my bed. I got out of my, I got out of my bed to use the washroom. I think my, I think my blood pressure went down, and I fell down, and hit my computer table. Hit the corner right off me right eye. That happened. On, that happened on the Saturday night, and my next door neighbor seen me next uh, Monday. He was out doing my door. I couldn't do it. He seen, he seen the bends in my eye full of blood, and he showed me eye. He said, "Clarence, you got to go to the hospital." He brought me over to St. Clair's. He took pictures. He took me in the health science and the ambulance, and he done surgery on me. And right now, I still can't see. And then I went back last year. I got laser surgery. I still can't see. Man, oh man. Whew. That's awful. And I had to turn around. I had to turn, I had to turn around there last week to sell me bike. I could ride. I'll be riding a bike now. So I'm a young boy. I can't ride a bike anymore. I got one eye. Clarence, what is uh, NL Housing telling you about the wait list? Well, I was talking to I was talking to Brenda at the Labrador Housing, and uh, she said to me, "If I can get a place, she should subsidize." Well, see, the point is, Patty, I can go there. I can go there now. And get a get a one bedroom apartment, but I don't want that. See, I want to get into housing. If I move into an apartment right now, and then the housing calls uh, the housing calls my contacts and said they got a place for me, well, I can't. I, I don't want to move again. 
I understand. No one wants to move second time around. I just want to get into a place. All I want is all I want is one place and one floor, bedroom, bedroom, and kitchen, bedroom, and one level, no stairs. I, I got I'm, where I'm living at now. Where I'm living at now, the house is about a hundred year old, and I can't hardly, I can't even hardly breathe here. I, I'm on puffers all day long, puffers. I can't I can't even walk up my stairs. I got, I got to take the puffer, right? I has a hard time to breathe. Catch me right. Well, when you say I'm you're living here, I, I, I'll be here nine years now, September, and my and my my landlord's a pretty good landlord, and. Uh, he like got no complaints about me. His rent's always on time and everything. But that's it to give me my notice, right? I'm sorry to hear that. And if you're already dealing with an organization like Stella Circle, which is one of the places that we would point you, hopefully to get some help and support, I'm not sure where else to put you. So you say you have two months left? I got to be out by September the 1st. Yes, Patty. Okay. And I'm, de- I'm dealing with the Stella Circle now. I'm two years. My counselor down there is uh, a- a- Albert. He's one. Set, he's one to set me. To, he's he's one to set the forms in St. John's and Labrador House for me. Okay. Well, I mean, hopefully Albert is going to be able to uh, push this along and get you what you need. I appreciate your time this morning. I wish I could point you in another direction to get you some more immediate help, but I'm not sure what to, what to do. I know. I understand. Well, now, let's... Patty, I got another, I got another question yet. What do you think about the healthcare? Well, I mean, healthcare is in a bit of a shambles. Oh, but I tell you a story, Paddy. I tell you, I tell you a quick story now, a quick one. Okay. Well, the first when I damaged when I when I damaged my first when I when I had when I had when I damaged my eye during two thousand, they took me in the they took me in the same class and took me in the, uh, took me in the health science health science, and they bobbed up bobbed up in the, in the OR room, give me a do surgery on my eye, and I was scared because I never had surgery in my life, and I was lying on the table. There was two male surgeons there, no names, but there was two male surgeons there. And there was a female, a female surgeon there, and I was really scared. I didn't know what to do. And this this female surgeon, what she done, she stuck a needle in my left knee. And that was it. So I put the mask on my face and I went to sleep. Did on my surgery. About four weeks down the road, my left knee started to swell up, purple and brown, pussy and everything. So I went back. I went back. Uh, I went back about a year down the road to see my doctor who done my, sur- done my surgery. I asked, who was the missus that, that gave me the needle? He said, what are you talking about, Clarence? I showed my leg. He said, that's not good. He said, you better off without a emergency ward. I said, who was the woman that gave me the needle? They got no records in there. So I had to go down to the emergency ward and wait five hours. They gave me a penicillin, and I was all cleaned up. But you understand, they got no records of that needle. And what was in the needle they gave me? I don't know. My leg was swelled up purple and brown. Infected. Um, I'm not sure what to say about that. And they, haven't, and they haven't got a clue who she was. And there was two male surgeons and a woman there. She had the gown and everything. Don't know who she was. Well, someone knows I don't who it is. That, right? Well, I mean, somebody knows who that person was, obviously. Member so, of the staff. Oh, yes. I'll, I'll say one, one guy knows who she is. But what was in that needle? I, I don't know. What she gave me a needle. Well, I mean, I have no earthly idea. Anyway, Clarence, I'm going to wish you well. I'm going to take another call. But thanks for making time for us. And hopefully, you get what you need with the housing. Thank you, Patty. You're welcome, Clarence. Good luck. All right, take care. Oh, boy. Uh, let's keep going here. We've uh, had a little bit of a chat about this upcoming reunion. I went to the Celtics chat again this morning. We joined us on line number two. is one of the organizers of the Brother, the Brother Rice reunion. That's Stan Cook. Hi, Stan. You're on the air. Hey, Patty. How you doing? Doing great, man. How you doing? Good boy. Uh, li- listen, um, quick call. Uh, what I want to do is just give it another little plug that it is August the 5th, Friday, down the Legion of the Boulevard, 
for all the years that this is the 60th anniversary of Brother Rice opening, and this is for all the high school graduating class, so everyone from, I guess, 62 to 99, I think that's when it stopped. But I, I really want to put what I want to put the, the plug out for is that the tickets are online. So I uh, I get a few calls every week still, people looking for tickets. I really can't get you the tickets. It's on Facebook. If you go to the Brother Ice Diamond Jubilee reunion, you'll find it. Now, some people have called me and told me they don't have Facebook. So the, the way you actually get the tickets, when you go to that Facebook site, you just click on a little link, and it brings you to a website. And, Patty, the website is called eventbrite.com. So it's E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E.com. So eventbrite.com, you type in, like, Brother Rice Reunion, will pop up. And then you just go through the process of pressing the buttons, giving them your visa or MasterCard number, and, and Bob's your uncle, and away you, get, away you go. So that's the main thing I'm trying to push because what the Legion has told me is that they won't be able to accept people who uh, want to show up that night. If you kind of get the feeling and the, and the spirit moves your Friday afternoon and you want to go down that night to, to uh, go to the reunion, they, they, they don't have the people, the staff, the ability to, to, to sell tickets to do it then. So they want everyone to buy their tickets ahead of time online. So that's the big push. How, how are tickets there. going? But good. There's a lot of folks going. I mean, Patty is a, a good ca- cast of all-stars going to this for sure. A lot of fellas you know from the good old days and, and folks from around even my father's time and all the way through. So it's a nice crowd. And what's kind of interesting, too, I, there's been a few uh, teachers and ex-principals that have reached out, and they're, uh, they're coming home from different parts of the world to attend this. So it's going to be a really interesting crowd going to it. It seems like and one of the things I, uh, I was talking to uh, a world-famous photographer, Fonts King, last week. And Fonts is going to uh, come down and set up, a, I guess, a, a photo booth type thing. So when you're down there, you want to get pictures with your old classmates or your old hockey team or the chess club or whoever's around you want to get photos with. Fonts is going to be taking pictures all night. And uh, so everyone's going to have a, a good opportunity to grab some of those old pictures and, and create some new memories with, with the old fellas. Any so intramural champ pictures? What's that? In- intramural champs <laughs> pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'd say there'll be a few of those lads. They're judging by some of the names. I, I don't look at it too often. Once every couple of weeks, I'll just scan it. And there's some really, uh, some real classic names that uh, are excited to, to, to come. So there, there, there will be a few of the lads there for sure that were uh, pretty tough in the dodgeball world and others. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, I should really sign up. I think about it every now and then. In fact, we were talking about it the other night at Skinny's, and I've just got to pull yeah, the yeah. trigger and get it done. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think the crowd. That's every time I run into someone, they're like, "Geez, Dan, I gotta go. I gotta do it." So I'm like, "Boys, don't wait for the day up, because, like I said, the Legion can process folks then. So buy your tickets now, get it done, be ahead of time, and then it's. Uh, I think it's like six to midnight or something, or six to eleven or whatever the, it is on the fifth of August. So go to the Facebook site. Like I said, I've had people that say I'm not on Facebook, so I just say, "Well, go to Eventbrite.com." Type in Brother Rice Reunion. It'll all pop up, and then just go through the motions there. Uh, good to have you on, Stan. Good luck with it. I will see you at the event, if not before. Yeah. Thanks, Bye. I look forward to seeing you, brother. Cheers. Take care, Stan. Bye-bye. Here you go. The upcoming Brother Rice Reunion. <laughs> uh, even as an old Celtic, one of the funniest chants uh, in opposition to the, the Brother Rice Celtics uh, still makes me giggle to the, this day down at the stadium and here, like, say, with the collegiate crowd with the old, you know, the the chant against the boys or against Brother Rice. Oh, my. Let's take a break. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Uh, let's go. Line number five. Good morning, Sue Ann. You're on the air. Oh, good morning, Patty. How are you? Great today. How about you? Oh, not too bad. Uh, Patty, if you could give me a couple minutes, uh, I would like to share uh, a story or a situation that my sister is going through without a family doctor. Okay. 
Uh, on June the 7th, uh, she had a mammogram and an ultrasound in Cornerbrook Regional Hospital. She had to drive from St. John's back to Cornerbrook for this after relocating. Uh, she do not have a family doctor, so the lump was found by a nurse when she went to the emergency in Cornerbrook. She was told by the radiologist after the exam that her lump looked like cancer. She was told she will be contacted in a week or so by a nurse that detected her lump. A week went by, no call. So she started calling every day and kept getting to talk to no one who knew anything because they were both on holidays, apparently. A few days later, she was able to get a hold of a nurse with her result. Devastating news, breast cancer in, my, in her left breast. The lump is quite large and she is in pain. She was told to contact the cancer center in St. John's and sent in her referral. She called several times to get this done and was told they don't usually do this. It's done by a family doctor. Well, she doesn't have a family doctor, and she just found out she had cancer. She's a young woman with twins six years old, and she's terrified. She called the cancer center, and they ha have received her file, but they cannot give her appointment time yet. The earliest appointment time may be mid-July or even a month away. Seriously? She can't wait this long without a doctor to find out the extent of her cancer and what treatments are available. The next step, she, would, the next step would be for her to see a family doctor for a prognosis regarding her diagnosis? That's what we were told. And then, okay, hmm. she still needs two MRIs which were ordered by the radiologist in Cornerbrook. So having to fight for yourself is so hard. And now you've got to fight for your get your results and appointments when you're told the worst news of your life. She was also told by a nurse that she might have to get her breast removed. She has a large tumor and it's causing pain every day day uh, it sounds like the next step for her would be to see uh, a, an oncologist wouldn't it as opposed to family yeah. doctor the family doctor will just put her out to a specialist an oncologist the surgeon if there's the opportunity or the possibility of a, a, a breast being removed so i'm a little surprised that someone's pointing you back down the family doctor road and even if you were lucky enough to have one wouldn't that family doctor mm -hmm. simply be making a referral to the specialist it kind of sounds yeah. like that's where she is. And I'm really sorry to hear that she's going through it, obviously. Yes, Patty. But the thing that they're telling us, uh, everybody constantly, is that uh, you need a family doctor. You need a family doctor. So that was fine. So we made a few calls, and we were told, you know, she registered online for to get a family doctor. Okay. And then they, they were, we were told that they would probably bump her up priority and have a doctor within a week. The week is up. You know, these stories, because not everybody's personal health circumstances is the same, so the inability to see a family doctor is much different circumstance for me than it is for your sister and for others yeah. out there. So these stories are piling up. I know people will, you know, there's debates apparently about whether or not there's a crisis. Well, there's a crisis for your sister. Big crisis. Patty, and, and, and this, my sister lived in Cornerbrook. She relocated to St. John's. She had to drive from St. John's. After relocating two weeks, she had to drive from St. John's by herself 
with devastating news to Cornerbrook mm-hmm. to get to get this test done and then drive back to St. John's again. And, he, and here we are now. I'm in St. John's. I'm from the West Coast. So I'm in here with my sister now because she has two twins and she's here by herself. Uh, so, like, we're here and we have no idea where else to turn. I really don't know. I'm a little confused with the roadmap that she's been put on here with mm-hmm. a family doctor next up because, you know, if there's been a diagnosis, then right. next step would be to deal with it. And the family doctor, as far as I understand the world, is not in a position to do, you know, a final assessment of what's next regarding any type of treatment and or mastectomy. I, like, I don't know. It all sounds like, a, you know, obviously your concern is simply getting her some help, not who's, who the right person is, just getting the help she right. needs right now. Well. Well, well, at least, Patty, at least, uh, uh, you know, everybody deserves to know what they have. She's been told this by people, you know, a radiologist, a nurse. Right. She needs to know what type of cancer. Well, we're waiting for the results, of course. But she needs to speak to somebody to get the proper diagnosis of what she has. She doesn't even have this. Yeah, I'm a little bit confused here, to be honest. Uh, but obviously, the number one issue is that your sister has a, a, a pardon me has a diagnosis, and she needs some immediate care. So, not sure where to point you, but it is just these stories are piling up, as I mentioned earlier, and I hear them every single day. And sometimes they're absolutely dire. Some people are simply frustrated and wonder what's going to become of their community and their clinic and all the interruptions at emergency rooms and what have you. But when it's as personal as it is, as the story you're telling us this morning about your own family, then I can only imagine the worry and the anxiety. How are the kids? Uh, well, the kids are doing good, and you know we, you know we tell them that mommy has a bad breast, and that's as far as we go. Uh, but Patty, you know, being having no family doctor and being a healthy person is bad enough. But when you get such a a, a bad diagnosis as this, and when the radiologists and nurses are telling you that you have a large lump and that this lump has broken off into nodules of cancer, uh, you know, it's it's, it's time. You know, this is not good enough. I think the people of Newfoundland, actually, we should be rising up. I'm sorry, but we should be rising up. I think people are. The next question would be, rise up to what end and to suggest or to do what? I mean, I'd like to think, maybe I'm wrong, I'd like to think that people are actively working towards making the improvements required. I know full well inside, for instance, the health accord work, that's exactly what it's all about. But, you know, looking down the road, five, ten years, of course, is a necessary transformation. But that does nothing for you, your family, and others out there today who are worried about lack of access and emergency room closures and all the rest of these, quote-unquote, human resources challenges that we're told by the regional health authorities. Uh, Would you like to say anything else before we have to say goodbye for the news, Sue Ann? I would just like to say to the people of Newfoundland and Labrador, please call in, tell your story, call the government departments. We all have to stand together on this. I wish you well, Sue Ann. Pass along my best wishes to your family. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Oh, that was a little quick. Uh, How are we doing out there, David? Uh, let's take a break for the newscast. When we come back, the topic, well, that's up to you. Don't go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number one. Say good morning to the business manager with Teamsters Local 855. That's Hubert Dog. Good morning, Hubert. You're on the air. 
Good morning, Patty. How's the day going? Yeah. Great today. Thanks. How about you? <laughs> I I got a hodgepodge of emotions going on this morning, my friend. I've uh, I've reached out to the government. Uh, you know, I have I have great concerns now. We've been, I've, looked, I've been on many times expressing how we're seeing a decrease in the number of people we have out on the front lines providing emergency services. We've seen the you know the the whole goal to me for emergency services is to be there in the emergency when it's required. And we're constantly seeing that the private operators are using their primary ambulances, which are designated for emergency services, to go and do the secondary runs, which are the, where, where they make their money. And, you know, which which is fine, but the problem is they're taking communities that only have one ambulance, taking that ambulance out of that community, so it's not there when emergency services are required to go make that money. And that's that's not what our ambulance system is intended for. I wrote the minister and, uh, and the premier on this and just asked what the government's stance was. So I did receive a reply from the minister saying that he was writing on behalf of the premier. And his his response, you know, it's, 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 it's I, I don't know if it's a... a a form letter or whatever, but it seems pretty much the same as what, I, what I've ever heard here. But the part that stood out to me the most was like, government does not provide direction on how operators are to manage the resources funded in the servant agreement, nor would this direction be appropriate. Yet this past Thursday, our annual service in Whitburn lost their dispatch ability, so, and that went to the government to uh, to be take over responsibility on how those ambulances now are going to be dispatched and, and, and used as a resource in that region. I, and I know from conversations with the with the owner of that service, this was not an amicable move. I, I really don't know the full details of why the government took this position, but we have a government who's telling us in a letter that it would be inappropriate for them to do it, and then they turn around and they take it, they do just that with with another ambulance service. You know, I, I don't, I really don't care about the politics in, in the background, but the, the impact that it's having on the medics that are left in the system, the gaps that it's leaving in the system for people who are requiring emergency services, uh, is, is the people this problem should be standing up again and saying, you know what, this, this is just not acceptable. Our provincial government has a mandate to make sure that when I call for an ambulance, it's here. Obviously. You know, so these red flags, I think is what we're calling them, when I call for an ambulance and there isn't one available, and we've spoken to people, whether it be in Trapassi and otherwise, and some of the long runs, even for medical emergencies to uh, go to emergency rooms back, you know, six-hour round trips. But when we're using the primary ambulance for secondary runs, we're creating a problem that is avoidable. What do they do in other places, Hubert? Because you'll still need some medical capacity in in an alternate vehicle, but you don't need the primary ambulance. So what are they doing in other places? Um, we, we actually have uh, projects going on in this province where there's uh, non-medical transport units. So these, you know, if you need to, uh, say, get a run to your dialysis appointment, these ambulances, well, they're ambulances, but they're not equipped as ambulances. You don't require paramedics or EMRs to operate these ambulances. You know, there's a stretcher in the back when they're laid out, they're laid out the same as an ambulance. They're just not equipped the same. And these individuals will show up to your door they'll, they'll, when, when, you, when your appointment is booked. You know, give you plenty of time to get there. You, you ride in, you ride in this vehicle, and you go to you go to your appointment, and they, and they make arrangements for you to come back. Some places, you know, if the patient is able, they'll make use of cabs. You know, not not you know, these routine runs for the most part don't need to be in the back. Now there are exceptions. Don't need to be in the back of an ambulance. 
And, uh, you know, I think the government, you know, and I don't know, I haven't, I didn't really notice it in the briefs that I've had on the health accord yet, but I mean, I think we really should be looking at utilizing those types of services more for, for what we call you know, our secondary runs or our interfacility transfers and stuff like that, right? What kind of staff would you need on one of these alternate uh, vehicles? Um, from my understanding, it's, it's it's just a person with standard first aid and CPR because it's you're not doing an emergency service, right? There's no special <laughs> interventions, no special skills needed. It's just you know it, it's somebody to provide you with a, with a means of transportation that you you probably can't provide yourself. And just refresh my memory, inside the health accord document, which is lengthy, even the blueprint was some 262 pages, mm-hmm. the mentions of ambulance service was simply the amalgamation of ground and air into the one authority for dispatch and otherwise. So, you know, is there anything else that I should be aware of inside that blueprint regarding paramedics and the service? It's, it's, it, it is a lengthy document. I mean, and we're, I mean, we're finding out new stuff as, as we continue to search through it in ourselves, right? You know, there's a point dream, and I mean, we did a presentation where we talked this. Like, they want to have ACPs, which would be absolutely fantastic for the people of this province to have that skill set on every ambulance in this province. That's an advanced care paramedic, is it? That's yes. Sorry, uh, the reality is that that's not going to happen. And I mean, you know, we we can't even meet the requirements now to have a, a PCP on every ambulance, much less two PCPs. So I mean, we you know. We don't see anything in there to address that. We know that the the uh, enrollment in the schools in the province for PCPs and EMRs is, is significantly down. There's no back backload coming in. I do know that uh, you know we are looking towards you know so many companies are looking towards immigration and whatever else to bring those people in. But that's that's a very lengthy and, and long process to try to figure out. Also, I think um, one girl, one one young lady, is actually ready to go on the road now but i mean she started like eight months ago to get get through that process so that's that's not helping relieve the stress and and that that's in the system right now right uh help me understand from your perspective and speaking for the people you represent is even with that one mention of amalgamating ground and air what does that realistically mean because it doesn't deal with the offloading issues at the province's emergency rooms it doesn't deal with the uh, primary ambulance used for secondary runs it doesn't deal with the burnout the disparity between rates of pay the private versus public so what does the amalgamation actually mean that's where i'm not sure i i know it, it, it it creates a larger pool like right now, if I work for a private, work in public service, I don't, I don't have the, I don't have the means to go to work for a private, private service if, uh, you know, if, if, they, if they're short out there. So right now, all, all I can see of the benefit of amalgamating the services right now is to create a larger pool, and you know, like if we look at the system that's currently in place in Nova Scotia, they amalgamated back in '85, I think, or '85, '95, somewhere in that time frame, because it was, it was, it took a while from the face of the system in. That what they currently do now is any ambulance base within, I think it's an hour and a half of your primary residence, you can be assigned to. So, like, well, for myself, I, I had been, been a paramedic for many years. I lived in CBS. I could find myself tomorrow going to work in Whitburn. You know, come back to work uh, the next day, I could find myself working in St. John's. I might on Bell Island. I might find myself in Fairyland. Whereas right now, each of those bases have their core group of people, and those are the only ones that are working in those bases. So when you look at a large center like St. John's, who has probably 250 medics in their system, those medics who don't work in the private system or can't, don't have the ability, the mobility to go to the private system now would be available to whoever is responsible for the human resources and, and scheduling to say, okay, I need you to go to this base. 
and that ensures that that, that region then is going to maintain or have coverage, sufficient coverage to, uh, to meet the mandate for that area. I appreciate the time on this one this morning, Hubert. You know, just add it to the list of the healthcare concerns and healthcare professionals' concerns. Thank you very much for your time, Patty. Appreciate yours, Hubert. Take good care. Take care. Bye. All right, bye-bye. Hubert, business manager with Teamsters Local, 855. Uh, it's time for a break, but when we come back, this is interesting stuff. And we actually talked about it here on this program not so long ago. Launched in November of 2020 in the province of British Columbia, they were prescribing park passes to deal with mental health and stress and anxiety. And interestingly, nature prescriptions were named one of the top eight global wellness trends in 2019. We're going to hear about the fact that it's going nationwide. It's coming to this province to begin on the 28th of June. That's today. Uh, is it 2022? Yeah, 28th of June, 2022. Two members of CAPE, and that's the... Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment are going to join us right after the break to talk about the importance of this new trend here in this province. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Well, Dr. Artanu Sarkar is an associate professor at the Division of Community Health and Humanities at the Faculty of Medicine at Memorial University. She's also one of the co-founders of the Newfoundland and Labrador chapter of the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment. And Dr. Stephanie Atkinson is also a member of that particular board, KPNL. They both join us on the lines this morning. Good morning, ladies. You're on the air. Good morning. Oh, Dr. Otano, you're a man. I'm sorry. I thought you were a lady. My deepest apologies, sir. No, absolutely fine. Uh, welcome to the show. So right off the bat, we did indeed talk about this uh, story that emanated from British Columbia back in 2020. Why is it important to bring this type of program to this province? I'll, talk, I'll start with you, Dr. Sarkar. Yeah, uh, the reason, uh, there is a lot of evidence is coming out that uh, if you spend more time with nature, it, it reduces stress level and it will also give more connectivity to nature, which is extremely important in current context because of the planetary health crisis. So the, uh, it, the, this kind of activity is going on in other countries, also culturally embedded in many indigenous communities across the world. This is very free. It will not cost anything to the healthcare, but it will bring a lot of benefit to the, the people. Uh, in terms of reducing the stress level. And we all know that how our increasing stress level, not necessarily linked with our current pandemic, even in, in so many other factors, causing a lot of other health issues like heart disease, other uh, cerebrovascular diseases, and other uh, stress-related problems. So the uh, prescription, part, uh, part prescription, basically to prescribing the patient and other uh, common people to spend time in the park and doctors and the healthcare providers can actually spend time and uh, and in motivate the the patient to spend time in an, at a nature that has a significant improvement in the mental health. Dr. Atkinson, uh, who would be uh, an eligible patient the, the park pass or any prescription for access to a park and or a green space would be the likely person to get this? So that would actually be any patient um, okay. who expresses interest in um, a park prescription or a prescription to spend time in nature. Um, the park prescriptions website is a really good resource for anybody who would be interested in that from a patient perspective. Um, there's actually a patient tab there where you can read a little bit more about it, what the sort of general and specific health benefits of it are, um, and sort of how to go about asking for that at, at any health practitioner, actually, physician, nurse, physiotherapist, et cetera. So, Dr. Sarkar, we uh, talk an awful lot about access to physicians, whether it be family doctors or otherwise. So 
will I have to present in person to you to get this type of prescription, or is there going to be alternatives available because it's not as easy to see a doctor as it once was? So it is not necessarily doctors. I mean, even nurse practitioners can also write it. Okay. As uh, Stephanie already mentioned. Uh, and uh, and also, the, uh, let me tell you that uh, until you get a formal prescription, this as VOCM is doing a very good job today that to spread the message to the common people, let's start at at individual level. Let's spend uh, 20 minutes, 30 minutes at the nature, uh, not necessarily always a big park, even in your neighborhood park or your backyard. And once you get access to your physician, uh, and then the physician can give you a formal prescription, and uh, and and then you can go ahead and uh, spend more time with nature. So what does this prescription get me? What will I be given access to? There is no specific part. They will, they will just simply mention in the pres normal prescription that you spend more time giving some kind of uh, motivational I mean, instructions, like not necessarily doable, not necessarily spending every day one hour, just 20 minutes or two hours a week. And they can go to any park. And the parks, Canada also have an agreement that the, those who get this prescription, the, I think that the entry fee will not be charged. So they can go to any part. There's no specific mention of any particular area to go. So there's mention in the news release about mental fatigue and reducing stress. Does it have a different impact on adults versus children, whether it be spending an hour outdoors in a park or in a green space? Yeah, it has significant impact on all the age group, positive impact. So it is also going to affect the children, benefit the children, benefit the seniors, benefit the young adults, every cutting across all the age, all the ethnic group, everybody. Dr. Atkinson, speak to the issue regarding children and attention deficits when their, uh, their ability to concentrate is improved by spending some time outdoors. Yeah, there, so there are specific studies um, looking at ADHD amongst children uh, and an um, uh, improvement in their ability to concentrate. Um, also, general health of school-aged children and general school performance has been looked at. Um, there's a really good link, again, on the website to um, all of the evidence sort of body that exists around uh, this, and that's stratified for age, um, stratified for particular um, like be it mental health or um, success in school, general health, those kinds of things. So uh, if you're a practitioner who's looking for um, the evidence on that, that's uh, available there. Or if you're a patient as well who'd like to read up on that, that information is there. There's also a curious portion of the email that I'm reading regarding just the benefit to people living in neighborhoods with a high density of trees. And of course, some of these might bring back some socioeconomic concerns. So not all green spaces are created equal. You needn't be engrossed more to get this type of experience. Even just a neighborhood green space can go a long way. Yes. Uh, so what we've seen yeah. there is, um, is studies published suggesting even if you're indoors, if you happen to be admitted to hospital and you have a view of trees, um, people have a, a tendency to do a little better. So I think that when it comes to modern medicine, our understanding of the health benefits of nature is just sort of uh, developing now. Most of these studies have been conducted and published in the last decade. So I think that as the years wear along, we're going to see a lot more um, evidence for the benefit of green spaces, the benefit of um, just interacting and having a relationship with nature in general. Which is an urban design issue as much as it is a healthcare issue and academic research on this front. Dr. Sarkar, what, would you, what else would you like people to know about this upcoming park prescription program? First of all, that uh, people, I mean, uh, I mean, we are definitely uh, uh, going to be more pro 
proactive to reach out to other associations, other professional groups, using the social media to reach out to the common people and, and to motivate them uh, to spend more time in the nature. As you rightly mentioned, that uh, green space and its link to socioeconomic status, definitely it is a major concern. It is a global issue. That, uh, but uh, that doesn't mean that uh, the, the people who are living in low socioeconomic status, having low greenhouse, will be deprived. So there will be different ways to motivate them. For example, during the activities, if they take a little more time while they're coming back from home, uh, they uh, spend more time, 20, 30 minutes in a nearby park, or taking their children during weekends and um, spend more time with the nature. And of course, you know, in the city planning, it is also important to make the more conducive uh, situation so that people can uh, spend more time in the nature without spending money you know, to travel to long distance. So the so it is definitely to take time. But meanwhile, uh, the let's people start uh, spending less time with the blue screen in a cell phone and uh, and uh, and uh, uh, iPad and spending more time with nature. Dr. Atkinson, just to be clear, like in British Columbia, the prescription came with free access to one of the parks, national parks in particular, because of a relationship between BC Family Doctors and BC Parks. So will I be getting free admission to uh, some, whether it be in Terra Nova or Botanical Gardens or what have you? What comes with the prescription insofar as free access? Yes, so if you have a park prescription, then it does give you free access to the national parks. We're also working with the provincial parks. Um, uh, as well as um, um, nature-based institutions in and around St. John's as well. So, um, yes, it will come with free access to the park. In addition to this prescription program, what else are you working on at the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment? So um, since I've been involved, which is um, about six months now, we've been um mostly working on this we've also worked with um, many of the learners who are part of our board on um, um, uh, projects about both about um, health as it relates to nature and um, and also some projects as it relates to uh, planetary health um, and so we we tend to get involved um, in anything that we feel impacts planetary health or the environment, uh, and that's sort of our um, mandate as an organization. Dr. Serker has been involved with CAPE for longer than I have. He may have something to add to that. Would you like to add anything, Dr. Sarkar? Yeah, the, the Medical Learners Center, they have done a very interesting uh, initiative of promoting biking in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, they have promoted um, uh, no car, actually, uh, week. Uh, basically, they, uh, they encourage the students and the faculty uh, try to come by walk or biking. Uh, and uh, you know that uh, St. John's is notorious for bikers. You know, it is not biker friendly at all as compared to many other cities across the country. But we have to come, uh, gradually uh, change the situation and we have to make it more biker friendly and uh, motivate people to bike. bike. Biking is a great exercise. It is also uh, a great uh, answer to climate change mitigation and adaptation program. And, um, and our, uh, our learners who are actively part of our uh, Canadian Association of Physicians for Environment, Newfoundland Labrador chapter, they're actually actively involving and motivating them, not only medical students, 
also other man students and um, i think this project have started and they continue to do that dr atkinson i know this isn't your ballywick but what would you say to for instance the department of education or the school district if we know based on academic research that we can uh, deal with children's attention deficits by a little walk in the park or a walk around the green space at their school it seems we have children much unlike my day when I was a K-12 student, they were really cooped up more in the classroom than they ever were before. What do you say to maybe utilizing the green space on a school property to deal with issues that children may be facing? Absolutely. I think that um, that all school-age children should be encouraged to spend as much time as possible uh, in nature. And we do have some evidence that it is at least a supportive intervention for many um, diagnoses. Uh, I'd be very hesitant to say, um, to simplify it so much that um, that we can deal with it just by doing that and that mm-hmm. medications and things like that are not indicated. That's absolutely not true. But um, I do think that that all school-age children and probably the teachers as well, to be frank, uh, would benefit a lot from more time outside. We really appreciate uh, both of you making time for the program this morning. It's an interesting initiative, and it looks to be very beneficial to Canadians who have had access to this prescription program. Let's hope the same for this province. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Take care. This is Dr. Otano Sarkar and Dr. Stephanie Atkinson, both members of the Newfoundland Labrador chapter of the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment. Sometimes it's not just all about a prescription pride and a trip to the drugstore. It could be a trip to the park. Let's take a break. Don't go away. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Welcome back. Let's go to line number 7. Neil, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Doing okay, thanks. How about you? No, I'm not doing too bad, I guess, for an old fella. Anyway, Patty, the reason why I'm calling in is for Primer Fury. Like a lot of people on our street that we live in, anyway, they all decided to vote for Primer Fury where he was a doctor, and he knew what was going on in, in, in the health care. But it seems like to me, ever since Primer Fury got in there, the health care is after getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, has it? Because I read an interesting story this morning where, you know, the Mayor Bonavista, Mayor Norman, was talking about, they were talking about this issue seven years ago. So I don't know if it got any worse. But what it seems to me is when there was so much slowdown at the hospitals and they were protecting the healthcare system regarding COVID, then all of a sudden the backlog grew to the point where it became a huge problem. I don't know if there's that many more people without a family doctor necessarily than there was in 2020. But it just the backlogs, it really feels like something went sideways in a hurry. And I think it's because of the way they try to protect the healthcare system, all these people waiting for cardiac procedures and hip replacements and whatever else is going on. That's what it really feels like to me. Well, I'll tell you, Betty, I got my own family doctor. And I'm issue she's female and I mention no names. And I'm telling you, you can't, she can't do enough for her patients. I know for me, she can't anyway. Like, I had to get a hip replacement. About seven months ago, I, had, I was in, I had my hip replacement done. I lost my leg in 2016 due, due to a doctor's fault. So, and I won't mention his name. But anyway, he was treating me for gout. I never had gout at all. I had two blood clots in my groin net. And I said, the doctor that I went to and everything else like that at the time then was my family doctor. Well, that's what he was treating me for, gout. And I ended up losing my leg over it. It wasn't gout. I had two blood clots in my groin. I stopped the circulation of the blood going to my foot. And that's what happened. Gangrene sat in around. I lost my foot within two and a half weeks. Oh, my gosh. Not on my foot, part of my leg. I got three inches below my knee. So, 
and there were, that was a debtor's fault. And I had a lawyer, I won't mention his name, and when we decided to take it to court and that, well, anyway, there was a day and a half over, and I couldn't sue that debtor, and I couldn't sue East, or, uh, Hill, or Eastern Health either. So, I mean, so, you know, everything is just down limbo. So who mind. told you that you couldn't sue somebody? Somehow I had a lawyer, yeah. And he told me anyway, it was a day and a half over, the limited time. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Apparently you got two years to sue Eastern Health or sue after. That's what I've been told. And I got everything written down there from that lawyer. They sent me out the, the paper and everything else. Everything's all there from him, from the lawyer. And he's a damn good lawyer, I must say. And you know it's real, real well. I do? Yeah, you definitely do, Laura, that I had. Uh, okay. Um, definitely, definitely. But like I said, I can't mention his name over the air or nothing like that. No, and I mean, I've, it, nor does it matter. If uh, you were happy with the representation that you got or the advice you got or the answers that are probably not what you wanted to hear, but fair enough. So, I mean, the question I suppose we have to ask ourselves is, if this government's on the wrong track regarding access to doctors, numbers of doctors, these types of th things, where are the solutions? Because some people will tell me it's simply a matter of money. If you throw money at the situation, doctors will come. Is that the case for all doctors? Probably not. So that's what I think we should probably be doing here. It's fine to criticize. People can criticize Dr. Fury, Dr. Hagee, whoever they want, until the cows come home. It doesn't bother me. Is what do we do? That's what I think is lacking in this conversation is how do we figure this out? How do we fix it? And I'm not so sure I've heard a whole lot of really great answers on that front. Some people might say, well, you know, for the doctor that left Trapassi or the doctor that left Bell Island, if we were more flexible, okay. If we create a specific recruitment packages for one community or another, opportunities for their partner and their children, sounds about right. Is it money for some? Possibly. But I don't hear a whole lot of solutions kicking around. No, and like I said, I was just listening to that lady and her little sister. I listen to you every morning, Teddy. Every morning. When you start at 9 o'clock in the morning, I listen to you right up at lunchtime before it does anything. Appreciate it. And ever since 2006, since I've been home since I lost my leg, and I can't work and I don't know more, and I'm a senior now anyway. And like I said, I mean, so just, just getting rid of the hand. Rid of the hand. I mean, so you take that poor lady, you know, and she would she with twins and that. My God, I'm mighty. What in the hell are they, people thinking about it all? This in the, in, in the health care. I agree. What are you thinking about, you know? I said, that poor lady, you know, God, God, protect her and hope to God that it never do happen to her. But you don't know. I said, that poor lady could die with that. Oh, absolutely. It's a real risk. Of course oh. it is. Uh, and uh, that story confused me a little bit about what's the appropriate next steps. Like, I don't know. Um, but your story, her story, and I tell you what, I am bombarded and I'm overwhelmed with stories about healthcare woes. And they're real. So, you know, I get kind of sick sometimes of people saying, you know, whether or not something's a crisis. And it's a crisis for that lady, you know. So it doesn't matter if you want to deem the entire system in crisis mode. It, if people are finding themselves uh, unable to see a doctor, their symptoms are getting worse, their families are worried, they're stressed to the max, it's a crisis for those people. So these stories are piling up, and I don't know where we go from here, but, you know, even when they talked about, well, Nova Scotia had a $55 million plan for recruitment and retention of doctors, and then the NLMA here asked the uh, minister responsible, Minister Hagee, can we have a look at our recruitment policy? We were told we have one. Turns out we didn't really have one. We might have had some thoughts and conversations and discussions and meetings about it, but we didn't have a document. Now I think they've probably done the right thing with hiring someone whose only job 
is to work on this file. Dr. Megan Hayes is her name. That's got to be the toughest job in the province for sure. So maybe there's some positive things happening. Will these collaborative care clinics ease some of the burden? Maybe, but only if we have new healthcare workers staffing them as opposed to just moving people around from one clinic to another. You know, so will that help? Maybe. Will some of the bonuses they've dangled in front of family doctors, the setup shop, uh, have a full patient roster, and after three years, a $100,000 bonus, is that going to help? Probably. But that doesn't do anything for today. And that's where the problems are really uh, worrisome to folks. We can look at the transformation over the course of 10 years, which I think is coming and it's important, but that doesn't make it any easier today. And where those solutions lie, I just don't know. Even emergency rooms. Every day I see uh, read a story of a diversion from one emergency room or another. An overlap of uh, doctors on vacation. No emergency services for 24 hours. There was one, I think it was out in Bonavista once again, where for the first time in 140 years, there wasn't a doctor to be seen in that community in, in case of emergency. So, boy, oh boy, where we go, I don't know, Neil. No, I'll tell you one thing, but like I said, I'm going to say that to Ferry. As far as I'm concerned, he was a doctor. He knew what the Eastern Health was like. And as far as I'm concerned, for him, that... Uh, like I'm going to say, if he can take $500,000 and put it in all care, right? Buy stock care, racing care, whatever. Yeah, $200,000 a year for three years. That's right. Yeah. But look at look, look at the money that he's after throwing to, throwing to different people and communities and everything else like that. You know, for parks and for playgrounds. And also, yeah, sure, everybody likes to have a park and a playground in their community and that for kids and that, sure. But I'm going to say, my God, I'm money. There's stuff out there that's more important than that. It's just like that lady. I'm just, that, that's heartbreaking. It's just like me, like when I lost my, lost my leg. It's the same thing. Like when I got to the hospital, that you know, I was home and that, and I'm like, gee whiz, just, just nobody can, nobody can even, even explain the way I felt. To tell you the truth, mm-hmm. I just by a family doctor, you know, like you, you put your, you put, you put your life in his hands. That's what you're doing. And then treat you for gout, and it wasn't gout at all. Tell me that I was eating too much shellfish and all that kind of stuff. I probably has one lobster in the run of a year, scallops like that, stuff like that. I don't eat it. I don't like it. And then turn around and tell me I was eating too much shellfish, and that's why that's why I cast a goat. Yeah, I have a very personal story of misdiagnosis that had dire outcomes, so I know where you're coming from, Neil. Uh, I do appreciate your time, sir. Would you like to add anything else? No, that's for it, Patty. You have a real good day, and I'll keep listening to you as long as I'm on this earth. I appreciate that, Neil. Good luck, Not sir. A you have a real good one. You too. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, let's take a break. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number two. Mary, you're on the air. Uh, yes, hi, Patty. How are you doing? Grand. How about you? Uh, not too bad. I, I'd like to voice my um, the uh, voice the gentleman that called in last night about the Ukrainians um, that they were getting uh, two thousand dollars when they arrived in Newfoundland, and that that is correct. I think you told him that it w- wasn't correct, but it is correct. Uh, they got two thousand dollars, and um, they got a gift card from Mark's Work Warehouse to go out and buy some clothing for themselves. So um, I don't know why you said he was lying because he he wasn't. He was telling the truth. I know. I know people have told me the same thing. The supports, the the initial financial supports, the vast majority came from a private citizen, an individual, Mary Brown's Greg Roberts. The change in the process for Ukrainians to be able to fast-track their way to Canada brought all kinds of different changes to what would normally be supports offered to refugees. So uh, where am I not accurate? I'm sorry? 
but uh, but I, I don't think you're accurate. That's my that's just my opinion. They were given uh, I think more than two thousand dollars. I think they were given a lot more than that, and they were also given a gift card from Mark's Work Warehouse to go out and buy clothing free. So uh, and us Newfoundlanders are struggling each and every day to get get by to buy uh, to buy groceries to buy vegetables. Um, I'm I'm classified right now as a senior citizen. I'm having a terrible time getting by. I'm supposed to be having vegetables, and um, um, I, I can barely afford it. So what's what's going on in this Newfoundland Labrador um, province? I, I, to me, um, I, I'm almost ashamed to be a Newfoundlander right now. I mean, people. I've talked to people in New Brunswick. They say, "Where are you from?" And when you tell them, it's just a, we're laughing stock. It's just unreal what our, our premiers do. And to me, I, he doesn't even classify to be a premier because it's uh, he's not doing his job. And um, I think he needs to get out of that chair, that big fat chair that he's sitting in, that leather one, and start to do something for Newfoundland Labradorians. Um, and uh, I've been wanting to call in for the last month or so, and I'm just getting the nerve now uh, because they said, Mary, go do it, because that's the way I'm feeling. It's brutal sure. how we're, we're treated. It's brutal, Patty, how we are treated. I don't work in the offshore. I have a different job, uh, and I'm not, I don't have five or six different baby daddies that uh, the, the women out, some of the women out there are cleaning up on the tax credit because they have five or six different children from different fathers. No, I mean, I, just the truth. I know what I'm talking about, and um, they're cleaning up, and we and us people that are over 50 are struggling to get by and go to the groceries, uh, and right now I'm paying twice the amount of everything. So what, what's going on in this province? Uh, uh, to me, I don't think Premier Fury de- deserves to be that Premier in front of his name. Because right now I'm fed up with him, and I'm fed up with the uh, the uh, finance minister as well. And I've told a lot of people, uh, this time around, I've been a liberal for most of my life, Patty. And right now, my ex will be going to somebody else. And I'm just waiting for the elections to run around, come around, and they will see. I think they're going to see a big difference in what's going on in, in this Newfoundland and Labrador province because it is brutal. I mean, you probably don't hear what's going on because some people just don't want to call in. But right now, I'm calling in for the first time, and that's the way I'm feeling. It, it is, it is shocking. It is shocking, shocking, shocking. I, I drive around the city, Patty, and the sad faces that are out there walking the streets. Oh, oh my God, it's just unreal. Mary, just one second. You say that I, pr- I probably don't know what's going on because I don't hear these types of stories. Is that what you said? Something along those yeah, lines? Yeah, probably you don't because a lot of people are not calling into your show, uh, whether they're calling and talking to you after the show. But, I mean, a lot of people, the way I know three or four people that want to come uh, call in, but it, they just don't have the nerve to do so. And I said, go on, you know, Patty wants to listen to you. But, sure. I mean, it's, it's shocking. Shocking, shocking, shocking. Yeah, uh, well... Boy, I'm a little surprised with that because from where I sit, I hear this kind of stuff all day long, every single day, seven days a week. Okay. Like you'd be you'd be shocked. Like I wish more people would call. You know, despite some of the different voices, I think would be helpful to me, to the listeners, and to the show in general. So there's nothing to be nervous about to call this program, Uh, share your own personal story, your own thoughts on the politicians or politics or anything socially. We're happy to have these types of discussions, Um, but. I, maybe I, d- I don't hear every single story in the province, but, you know, just for an indication of some people who don't want to call, and that's okay. I understand that. I will I get, on the average, 150 emails every single day. 
every yeah, single day. I, I was going to email you too, but I sent X with the emails because I'm, you know, I know you're bombarded. But I said that's it. I'm calling. I've been wanting. I'm glad to you did. For the longest time, Patty. Let me tell you, I've been long, longest time, and I said, they said go on, Mary, go do it. I said, well, that's it. I'm going because I'm, I'm fed up to be truthful with you. That's that's an understatement. I'm really fed up with this province. I mean, I've talked to people in New Brunswick, and they said, sure, they have their premier helping out with them in New Brunswick, giving them a, an allowance to get them through the, the difficult times. Sure, I mean, what's going on with our, uh, what's going on with this guy we have as, as our premier? What's going on with this man? I mean, uh, it's it's brutal. It's brutal. He seems like he's looking for, star, uh, uh, he's like he's starstruck or, or something. He's looking for, for star, uh, stardom uh, or whatever. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's just brutal. It's just brutal, Patty. And I, and I get so frustrated that um, it's overwhelming sometimes. You, you mentioned an allowance in uh, New Brunswick. To, I don't yeah. know. what the, What is that about? It's for the people that are, are, are low income that are given uh, an allowance to, to, to buy the things they need. Uh, I can't remember now. Someone told me what it was, but I can get I can get to you. Uh, it doesn't matter. I can find it. Yeah. Oh, okay. It, it is in, in New Brunswick. They're giving an allowance. The premier is giving them them an allowance. Uh, the ones that are, are on low income that can't afford to buy the things like their vegetables and their, their fruits and vegetables and and getting to buy each and every day until things get better. Why can't Why can't our our guy, the man, do that? Or the premier do that for us here in Newfoundland? I mean, I, I'm you know, it's just, it's just I've never witnessed anything like this before. This is the first time that I think this premier that we have. I mean, you know, um, the job is not being done. Healthcare is failing. Everything is going downhill. Mary, did any of the uh, uh, the pots of additional monies that the province had in the most recent budget did any of that impact you? Because of folks receiving income supplements, seniors benefit, which is about fifty thousand seniors, and some increases that they benefited from. Any of that impact you? Patty, not a thing. I'm not. I'm. I'm not over the age of seventy. I'm not in, on income support. I don't have oil in my tank because I have electric. Okay. So I mean, none of that, Patty, uh, impacted me. None of it. I didn't get any of it. So I mean, Mr. Siobhan Cody comes out and says, "Oh, we're after giving uh, millions of dollars, and this is what we're after doing." Sure, a lot of us didn't get any of that. She only get. I mean, we're not all seniors. We're not. Uh, well, I get. We're not all at that age bracket. We're not all in the oil fields. We're not all in, into the oil, electrical um, oil in our tanks or the, uh, well, the, thing, uh, the thing in our tanks. But, I mean, none of, I didn't get any of that stuff. So, um, you know, we're still struggling. We're all struggling. I understand, and I hear you loud and clear. Uh, any of those additional supports uh, didn't hit no. me or my family either. So I know that many people have been kind of left on the outside looking in for yeah. some additional help because, right. you know, whoever was in the so-called middle class in 2019, boy, it feels like we're worse off today. Uh, everything, uh, right. like my pay hasn't gone up, but certainly I everything I touch has. No, that's true. That is true. And everything I touch, the same thing. It is brutal. And I mean, I go to the grocery store, and I mean, uh, I, I mean, you're twenty dollars. Well, sure, you can't get very, very much of anything for twenty dollars nowadays, or even forty for that matter. But as I'm saying, I thought, I thought I'd call in to see something needs to be done. And uh, uh, Patty, I think you need to probably. I mean, I don't want to tell you what to do, but I think you but need to, to. Uh, the premier on and and be frank with him and ask him what the heck is going on. Uh, but because last night I was listening to him, and I mean, I just had to smirk. 
work and laugh. And I said, all he was, I know the guy from the, the new guy, the hockey guy, but it seemed like he was just uh, praising him up and whatever. So God bless him for that. But I mean, there's a, a lot of more, uh, more topics that we need to talk about. My goodness, we moved on very quickly from uh, congratulating Alex Luke in that conversation with the premier yesterday. What's that? We moved on from that very quickly with Premier Fury yesterday, and yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I was pretty frank with what we asked him about. Uh, nothing, nothing, nothing to do with the economy, though. The state we're in, the mess we're in. Well, some of the matters we discuss have distinct overlap with the economy. Pardon me? Anyway, okay. So the... New Brunswick issue, someone just sent me what exactly is going on there, and it's very similar to what happened here. One-time payment of $225 to individuals, $450 to families who are already receiving low-income or housing benefits through social development. It impacts 75,000 approximate uh, New Brunswickers. That's the issue that you were speaking to. Yeah, but I guess I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I'm on that. I'm not on that list, and a lot. A lot of my more friends are not the same as well. Uh, but anyway, Patty, I thought I'd call in and express how I felt because right now it's that this province is. Uh, and and something else I need to tell you too. Um, a lot of people are moving. I I was talking to somebody the other day. They said they said they're so fed up with Newfoundland. Uh, they're packing up and moving to New, New Brunswick. That's where they're going. So uh, PEI, another lady that I spoke to a couple of months ago. She said, Mary, I'm fed up with this. I'm packing it in. I'm going to Prince. Island. So uh, they're talking about immigration. I think uh, Minister Burr needs to get, uh, and, and uh, yeah, so that's all he's worried about, immigration, immigration, immigration. But he needs to worry about the people that are already here, that was, were born and raised in Newfoundland and Labrador. And that's all I have to say, Patty. I do thank you for your time. Yeah, and just, uh, just for clarification as well, so the Marks Work Warehouse gift cards were donated by a private citizen. It wasn't government money. But anyway, that doesn't make I life know. any easier for you. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Take good care. All right, bye-bye. Um, I was pretty sure we heard an awful lot of the stories. Economic woes, health care. I mean, there's not much we don't hear about or talk about here on this program. So uh, if you're like Mary, and whether you're frustrated or want to bring some good news, and if you've been considering calling and you're nervous about it or you're hesitant for some reason or another, give us some careful consideration. And maybe one of these days, maybe right after the news, you can get in the queue to talk about whatever's on your mind. We're taking a break, and then we're coming back. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Welcome back. Uh, let's go to line number one. Minnie, you're on the air. How are you doing, Patty? Hanging in there. How about you? Oh, very good, my love. Thank you. I just had to call in this morning when I heard that lady out in uh, Cornerbrook and her sister uh, where she's had breast cancer. And I can't imagine, Patty, after going through that, how, uh, how she's holding up at all. That's her sister and her, her herself. Mm-hmm. Because uh, being that I went through it myself, my lump wasn't a big one. But it, but it was a moderate-sized one, but it had already got me to the lymph nodes. That's 24 years ago, Patty. 24 years ago in July, right? So I was quite a young woman at that time. And uh, I think the problem that we have, I've never seen anything quite as bad as it is now. I've seen things bad, but this has got to be the worst. And the worst thing seems to be that there's nothing. It seems to me that they're going around in circles trying to figure out what in the world they can do about it. 
And the only thing I would say to that, Patty, if you can't do it here in this province, then maybe it's time to think about sending people to Nova Scotia or Ontario. They send cardiac patients. But that woman who has a large lump, the one thing that she's looking for, the reason she's got to see a family doctor is because she can't see a specialist, neither could I, without uh, seeing the, the doctor first. So is it simply for a referral? That's an honest question because I don't know. Yes. That, that believe it or not, you cannot. I would not be able to go and visit a specialist unless I got a referral. And that's the trouble she's got. She's got probably trouble getting a family doctor because, of course, a lot of people have had trouble, eh? And uh, the only thing that I would say, uh, Patty, the longer that she waits, I lost my sister to breast cancer, and she had what you call uh, um, an aggressive form. Uh, She didn't even find it. She went on holidays. It wasn't there. And when she got back, she had a very big lump. And she lived all of one year, mostly on chemotherapy, because uh, you you got to get that as early as you can. And back in 1998, Patty, when I went through, I had a wonderful, wonderful specialist. Nobody in this world it was like a, a gift from God, he was. He's now retired, but he was a surgeon. I can remember seeing him. I was in... Uh, I was sitting in his office, and I don't know how anybody else felt, but I felt that I I didn't know what was going on around me. It was like I was in a daze, and I couldn't understand what he was telling me. All I could hear was the word cancer, and I kind of was in a daze, and I was like that for weeks. So how she got into St. John's driving by herself and got out again is beyond me, because at that time, I didn't know if I was alive or dead, to be honest. And it was so frightening an ordeal to me, right? But uh, like I say, my specialist had me in for September to do the the surgery. And I remember looking at him and crying and saying, could I have it done earlier than that? And I knew that he looked at me because he realized uh, the mess I was in and how my psychological feelings were at that time that I couldn't possibly go very far and he set me up for 10 days after and that's when I had my surgery and had my chemo on that afterwards but the only thing I would say to her the squeaky wheel gets the grease patty and I've noticed an awful lot of people that call into the media within days they're getting something done and I would say to her to First, go to your to your uh, minister or your member's office, not in a violent way. Just go there, stand up outside or uh, somewhere in where his office is. Get some friends to go with you and show up uh, every day if you got to. Either that or go to the media because I think that's the only people that's going to get anything done. You got there's no good sit back and wait and wait and wait. People have died like that, and I'm sure a lot of people have died like that already. But uh, just go and, and, and make it loud. I've always said to my husband that if I cannot get in, the first thing I'm doing is going to Patty because they get in almost immediately after that. It's terrible you've got to do that, but sometimes you've got to do whatever you can. And like I said, if the government can't get staff 
they must start sending sick people out to hospitals somewhere else in Canada. You can't wait until if there are going to be years getting doctors and nurses, uh, Patty, they got to uh, uh, send people away because that's not helping. People are going to die, right? And, Patty, the other thing uh, that I would say is that, uh, uh, you know, like my doctor now, and I don't mind saying his name because I've praised him endlessly, and I haven't seen him, oh, gosh, 12, 13 years. Dr. Alan Kwan, his name was. And uh, everything I needed done, he did. And I'll appreciate him for the rest of my life. And my cardiologist, who I, who I had at the time, Dr. Massan, he was another gift from God for sure. But I think prob- the problem is not money with the doctors, Patty. I think it's a lack of respect. That's what I think. They're not felt that they're being respected and they're getting out of town. Because how can you explain uh, four doctors going in six months, you know? Nobody can explain that unless they feel so desperate and it's not, I don't think it's a matter of money at this stage. I think, like I said, it's not being respected, you know? It's probably some of that. I mean, I don't know if there's a one-size-fits-all reason as to why one doctor is leaving or another. I know there's been an awful lot of retirees, which has further complicated the family doctor world. Um, so that's why we repeatedly say here is that it is paramount to have an exit interview done. So if it's a frustration uh, based on a relationship with the regional health authority, then we've got to understand that. And the people who are causing the frustration, we need to deal with them. If yeah. it's simply because they have a better opportunity to, uh, from their perspective, a better opportunity elsewhere, okay. What does the better opportunity look like? How can we try to mimic it? You know, so every doctor would have their own distinct set of reasons as to why they come, they stay, they leave. So we have to understand it. And someone sent me an interesting email. They were at the convocation at the uh, Arts and Culture Center. 81 people walked across the stage getting their medical degrees. Have we asked all 81 exactly what their plans are? And if they're not to stay here, what can we do to encourage them to stay here? So all these things in conjunction has got to be part of how we understand what the hell is going on and how we can retain and recruit and retain more and more doctors. If it's about a tailor-made package as to why it's a good opportunity for you to live and work on Fogo Island, let's figure it out. Because it's going to be different than bringing them to town, for instance. Because I'll tell you now, one of the places that's affected by the the shortage of doctors is my own town of Wesleyville, right? Uh, It's New West Valley now, but it was Wesleyville, that that area. Uh, If somebody had a heart attack, like my husband had a heart attack, he got to the hospital 20 minutes, he was right in the midst of a heart attack. And... uh, do you know that they got to go an hour and a half to Gander to even be checked on to make sure that you're going to be lucky if you can get to an hour and a half without having a worse heart attack? Because every time you got your heart failing in that, what happens is the heart gets worse and it causes damage to the heart, right? And, uh, you know, it seems to be day after day there's a new place that got their doctors lost and a new place. I don't know what. If if it's because of the holidays and that kind of thing, Patty, they should come out and say people are under holidays and we think they deserve a holiday. But just telling people that we can't get staff to, to come in, is not that's not being honest with people because 
uh, I think a lot of people think the doctors are probably wanting a holiday. And if they want a holiday, they should have one. I mean, nobody should be working seven days a week. You know, that's that's my feeling. But I think this could have been looked after years and years ago. I don't care which party was in, if it was the Conservatives or the Liberals. It should have been looked at seven to ten years ago. And uh, perhaps by that time, they would have had something that's, that's there that people could uh, always have their doctors because of all the things in Newfoundland, we're a elderly population. And I think the one thing we do need, uh, Patty, is decent health care. We can't go back to the 40s. Uh, even back then, in these days, we had to pay $10. I can remember my mother going and paying $10 just to see a doctor. But we had our doctors. And, uh, you know, I'm very concerned. I've been very concerned for months over that, right? It's all fine with me because I have my cardiologist. I have my family doctor. But I wouldn't know what to do if I lost my family doctor, to be honest. Understood. Uh, I do appreciate the time this morning, Minnie. Thanks for this. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, and thank you, Patty. And you have a great holiday when you go. Thanks. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, the shrimp standoff continues. Keith Sullivan is the president of the FFAW. We'll touch on that with Keith after this. Welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number four. Say good morning to the president of the FFAW. That's Keith Sullivan. Good morning, Keith. You're on the air. Yep. Good morning to you, Patty. Welcome to the show. Yep. So, uh, yeah, like you'd said in the introduction, and Colin, in response to uh, what a terrible decision uh, shrimp harvesters got yesterday relating to the price of shrimp. So uh, the price setting panel shows a 90 cent price that ASP had put forward versus a dollar 36 uh, from from harvesters. And I think ASP members are probably more shocked than anyone with this decision. Uh, so I'll get into the issues around that a little later, but. Probably the bigger issue here is what's happening is the fish companies are, you know, going back to the playbooks of the merchant days. So they're able to work together, you know, put in lowball prices, not buy when they want to. So we're here now tied up with uh, prices been set this year for capelin, sea cucumber, and shrimp all spring, all year. And essentially it's harvesters, plant workers held hostage by the fish companies. I mean, it is really back to these merchant days. And, you know, what's more galling is that we have, you know, our provincial government that are kind of standing by, allowing this to happen, not dealing with some of these issues. And that's hard to really understand. What is it? Uh, you know, is it that they're contributors to the political parties? There's nothing else that's really logical and makes sense for the inaction of supporting a few big companies versus, you know, tens of thousands of people and families in the province is just shocking and you know harvesters today and shrimp is the latest example that people are really uh disgusted by what they're seeing and never felt so disrespected before i don't think so i mean obviously this is always the way asp will have one reaction and one thought on the matter you and your organization will have another there's reference in the email that was sent out from the ffaw this morning that the market has improved 36 percent in the last year but what's, what's that based on keith um so yeah I- exactly i'd want to go back and that's based on that's information from the dedicated market report uh, that that we have a long-standing market report information that was made available to the parties and by any measure all indices of cold water shrimp and the shrimp that we're selling 
prices have gone up noticeably. We can debate the amounts, but considerable improvement over last year. And just to give some context, last year the price was a dollar sixteen, the minimum price, and that was what ASP were successful before the panel last year. We certainly believe that was too too low and wrong. But we've seen these constant improvements year over year, and now the panel has decided to make big reductions in prices. Uh, so even just from this spring, uh, the price the, the prices put forward were ninety cents and a dollar forty two. A dollar forty two was chosen by the panel. Since then, the market has improved with predictions to continue to improve. It's just bizarre that the decision was made and perhaps it was the pressure that was put on by companies saying, hey, you know, we're not going to we're not going to buy, we're just going to hold hold out and, and starve uh, you know the fishermen and plant workers and put that pressure on. I'm not sure how they came to that decision, but it's certainly certainly a poor one. But I think the the bigger issues is just how the companies are behaving with these fisheries and, you know, the inaction by, by government standing by while, you know, we're losing out on on economic opportunities, people can't fish, and there's people who are in shrimp plants and shrimp uh, vessels. They never got a paycheck this year just because of this, what we see is the, the abuse by the companies. Okay, so how do, you, how do you fix this? Because you say the inactivity or the inaction of the politicians. At some point, though, you know, removing politicians from these types of decisions seems important to me. So the panel, like I always thought it was a, an odd setup that you had to pick one or the other. It couldn't simply be based on market research, what the market is able to bear. And yes, there's always going to be a different one. The harvesters want more to be paid more. The uh, producers would like to pay less. We all understand that. But the big trick here is, what's a better mechanism? How do we change it so that we don't have these annual rackets on virtually every species? Yeah, and that's exactly what you know a, a panel was was intended to do. And the, the the problem is, you know, is that you know companies now feel empowered that they're able to you know dictate these things and they're able to not buy when they want without any consequence. We're in a pretty precarious position, you know, being an island and somewhat isolated and everything else. But if we're going to allow them the privilege to be able to operate here, I mean, they got to be able to be proven that they're treating workers uh, fairly. They're more transparent with their pricing. We want provincial government to step in and support, uh, you know, at the very least support saying, okay, fish companies cannot be uh, illegally controlling inshore licenses. That's problematic as well. But they won't even do that, and that's hindering the next generation. So there's a number of steps, at least acknowledging the problem and working towards it. It's going to be hard to change overnight. I mean, uh, you, you know, we got here with with these companies, all members of ASP that are, you know, able to, to work together. And like you said, you know, uh, you know, their, their goal is to make as much money and We've seen it, you know, things at all kinds of levels. We've seen companies uh, fixing the price of bread, for example. You know, Loblaws were involved in that a few years ago. Uh, so, you know, all kinds of things could happen. But that's why we need our regulators, I mean, government, essentially, to, to look out for people, make sure they're not getting ripped off on the price of bread or that, you know, fishermen and plant workers are not just getting abused when it comes to dealing with prices of, of products and the, the main the main economy in most of our uh, province outside of certainly the Avalon. Yeah, I mean, I just don't know. I've always had a hard time understanding exactly how the fishery is structured in this province. You know, there's very little in the way of other industries where 
the raw material gets so little value. So I know that everyone wants to make a profit. Profit is not a bad word. Harvesters want to make as much as they possibly can and whatever species they're fishing for. Producers want to make as much as they can. So again, if, until we change the mechanism, nothing's going to change here. Nothing is going to change. So no. what the better option is for setting prices, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's something from out of the province that makes these types of decisions on our behalf. Maybe similar to the organizations we use as we try to forecast the price of a barrel of oil, for instance. You know, if there's an outside influence, an outside force, that that's all they do is take the temperature of the markets, and that can lead to possibly better decision-making that would be more hitting the bullseye, clo- at least closer to the bullseye, for the what should be the price. I don't know the answer. And that and that kind of speaks to the the transparency piece, Patty. I think that's and we do have some more successful models where you know we we know in some smaller fisheries like lumpfish and lobster, at least people understand the mechanism. We can you can debate whether it should be a little more this way or you know a little higher or lower. But you know right here right now, you know that's thrown out uh, thrown out of the the window. And you know companies are really abusing uh, the process because they can. And and back to your earlier point, and I, I didn't uh, didn't uh, address it about choosing one or the other. The reason that what was there was well, you know people get closest to the mark, and you're forced to negotiate harder in what they call a final offer selection. And you know notionally that makes sense, but if there's no repercussions and companies are not going to uh, to buy and there's nobody else you know there's no other competition in the province to be able to 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 keep them honest and be able to pay that fair price that's when the system kind of falls down it's really that's a symptom of the lack of competition and companies working together to keep prices low. And that's what we've been talking about. That's what seven or 800 people were on the steps of the Confederation uh, building earlier this year, telling the minister and looking to tell the premier that you followed up with meetings around that. So there has to be some, some action to deal with it now. And certainly people who are fishing shrimp, uh, this price is just, it, it's an impossible price. We know the, cost for everybody has gone up you know whether you're you're going driving to work in a car but it's certainly magnified for for people who are who are fishing now so it's getting uh, really worse harder to make that living and you know right now harvesters are just saying well this is an impossible price for the fish it makes no sense on a few levels including not linked to the market and quickly i'll just say for example uh you know prices in the Maritimes would have generally been a little lower than, than here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, you know, we saw Terry Ryan, a harvester from here, sail to Nova Scotia, got a dollar thirty-four for shrimp uh, just last week. Uh, Royal Greenland or a company operating here, they're paying around that dollar thirty-five or average prices above that in Quebec. Same company here that are saying ninety cents is good enough for for fishermen. So. It's not acceptable, uh, and you know the dollar thirty-six price put out by FFAW is fair and reasonable and in line with the market. I appreciate the time this morning, Keith. Thank you. Thank you very much, Patty. Take care. Bye bye. That's Keith Sullivan. He's of course the president of the FFAW. Uh, time for a news break. When we come back, uh, Ben wants to respond to Mary, a caller earlier, who was obviously quite frustrated and fair ball. And Kevin has a beautiful motorcycle. Unfortunately, someone nicked it. We'll hear from Kevin after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. Welcome back. Let's go. Line number three. Kevin, you're on the air. Howdy, how's it going? Thanks for taking my call. Happy to do it. 
Uh, well, you know, unfortunately, like I had the mispleasure of uh, watching somebody else drive away on my motorcycle last night at 2 o'clock this morning. Freshwater Road area, St. John's. Uh, it's a 2003 Triumph Trophy, and when you hear Triumph, you think of these nice little sport kind of scrambles, but this one is a fully third, uh, fully luggage box. It doesn't look like a Triumph, so to be honest with you, this might be the only one in the province like it. It's grey, and uh, very distinctive, very clean looking, and it has big giant letters on the side of the tank that says Triumph. Like, if even if you didn't know about motorcycles, you could be able to read that that's a Triumph, you know? And like I said, it's the, probably the only one like it in the province, so... Yeah, they they got in, got into the, the, the we have a detached garage at the back of the house and they got in and uh, it, I felt like it was cased. It was done quite precisely the way it was able to be. I got a couple of vehicles in the driveway and it was quite awkward to get the bike out and they were able to scoop by. And when I was out on the street, uh, you know, without even a shirt on, trying to figure out what the hell went on, uh, all of a sudden the bike started up away about a half a block down and then they just took off. They stole two helmets and stole the bike. That's brutal, and it's a beautiful bike. You sent me an email yeah, with some fall, emails. Yes. It's a very distinctive-looking bike as well, so it's, it's a very well. shiny, grayish, silver bike with a, a just gorgeous uh, luggage boxes and wind jammer, and so keep your eyes peeled. There's a little, what looks to be, I guess it's like a little uh, rack on the back for some additional packages. Well, it has actually it went away with a black luggage rack on top is what it did i have the full box on top now so it has two gray ones on the side and then the black one on top yeah it's sad because they won't get it again you know i got two weeks to wait now and see if it shows up and whether or not the insurance will pay out but you know i'll get i'll get dimes on the dollar for that and uh i just won't get it again 2003 it's like didn't even have forty thousand kilometers on it it was it was begging to be taken on the road for a nice little road trip somewhere and I, I only I bought it just before the winter last year, and unfortunately, I uh, haven't got to enjoy it the way I wanted to, you know. Well, what do you want to do, Kevin? You want people to keep their eyes peeled? Call the yeah, RNC, it, it, or yeah, yeah, I'll give them a number. I don't mind. I don't care. Like I'll, I'll give a reward, and even if it leads to somebody getting charged, I'll double the reward. I don't listen. If if I can get that bike back in some sort of good shape, I'll be delighted. I'd be surprised if it saw daylight around here again because. They they knew what they were doing when they took that bike, so they should be smart enough to know that it's such a it's such a an original. So it's going to be hard for them to sell that. Eh? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, what's your number, Kevin? Seven two seven zero four six nine. Zero four six nine seven two seven zero four six nine. Yes. Uh, fingers crossed you get it back, and hopefully oh not only yeah, do you no. get the bike back, hopefully they'll have to deal with some silver bracelets yeah. and talk yeah, to the like RNC. Alone, two helmets alone, you're talking about six or seven hundred dollars, and yeah. then the bike, you know, it says more uh, more nostalgic value. I, I, they don't make that model anymore, and, and that one especially, two thousand three. It's just I, I just won't get it. Not this side of the Atlantic, anyway. Kevin, Dave Williams wants me to put you on hold, so you're going to speak with Dave now. But fingers crossed you get the bike back. Thanks, Paddy. I appreciate it. Pleasure. Okay, all the best. There's Kevin on hold. Let's go to line number two. Ben, you're on the air. Morning, Paddy. How are you? Great today. You? Uh, not too bad. Uh, I'd like to call in just to respond to a call you had a couple callers back with Mary. Uh, I was him and Han whether or not to call in, but I do think that, that, that what, what she was talking about needs to be addressed. Not to diminish, uh, you know, the frustration and the anxiety and the, all these, you know, we're in a bit of a perfect storm right now with everything that's going on in the world. I totally understand that. I'm a student myself. You know, price increases. We're all feeling it for sure. And I don't want to diminish her anxieties and frustrations. However, I would like to respond to her. She seemed to be particularly fixated, I'll say, on, on, on the fact that, you know, we, we gave some, you know, new Canadians from Ukraine 
some support. Whether or not government did it or a private citizen or whatever, I'm not sure. I don't know the specifics of it. But, you know, if we did that, I'm proud of the government for doing that because, you know, yes, we're all kind of going through difficult times right now, but we haven't had bombs dropped on our t- top of our head. And I really don't like that it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a dog whistle that we're kind of turning towards new Canadians, right, new Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. I don't like where that's headed. <laughs> well, it snowballs very quickly. I, I will say that much. Um, you know, the issues are, look, we're, we're conflating things, right? You know, we can indeed help others while we help ourselves. And some of the support that the Ukrainian refugees in particular are getting, the vast majority of it came from private citizens and the Association for New Canadians. The vast majority of it. They basically came with whatever they were able to carry. That's it. So when the, you know, the cost to the province has been basically setting up shop in Warsaw to help uh, get these refugees on the fast track, get them here to the country. You know, some of them are coming to this province, which I think is ultimately a very good thing. And, you know, like even some of the concerns that we've heard in the past with, you know, single adult males, we don't know who they are, where they're from, what their ideologies are, whatnot. These are women and children. That's what's coming to the province. So I, I really... I also have a problem with demonizing newcomers because it becomes part of a social commentary that's hard to turn back the clock on. So, and you know, like the $2,000, that's not a thing. And the Mark's gift card, yeah, a private citizen out of their own pocket bought those. So, you know, I don't mind having a conversation with immigration and safety and security and the different processes and the four silos. But sometimes I think some people, and maybe it's just based on emotion. Maybe they don't feel that in their heart. Maybe they're just stressed to the max because they open up the mailbox and they go to the grocery store and they go to the gas station and it's becoming more and more difficult. So I don't know. I can't speak for Mary, but I know where you're coming from. Yeah, 100%, right? And, and that, that's just it. And, then, you know, my personal opinion is this. Hats off to the people who gave out of their hearts to, to Ukrainians, right? You know, I'm in that Facebook group. I try to, you know, give people information and help where I can, right? And, and that, that's just my personal opinion. No, I'm not saying everybody has to do it, whatever. But with regards to, to cost of living, and I think, yes, you know, you, someone said to me once, you got kind of, you got to look at the world with kind eyes, right? And I... Uh, that's kind of how I'm feeling about this right now. So I don't don't want to demonize Mary, but at the same time, I would really caution people to really think about, you know, just blaming new Canadians and immigrants before that, right? Because, you know, me, yes, everybody's frustrated. You know, it's we've had a week of hot weather. You know, the economy is kind of slipping sideways. There's a perfect storm. I get that. I, I you know, me talking about that's not going to help anything, right? But, you know, me personally, I get frustrated at myself for going out and spending too much money one night or going out and buying a new pair of shoes. And yeah, 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 right? We're all frustrated one way or another. I just really caution people to, you know, inflation is going to be high for a little bit longer, but, you know, and the healthcare, yada, 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 yada. A lot of these things, we just got to let them pass. <laughs> I appreciate the time. Thanks a lot for this, Ben. Thanks very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. And let's go, before we get to the break, let's go to line number five. Say good morning to the uh, executive director at the Eating Disorder Foundation. That's Paul Toomey. Good morning, Paul. You're on the air. Hi, Patty. How are you this morning? Grand, sir. How about you? Good. Interesting show. I've been listening for the last uh, last few minutes. It's been, been great. Uh, Patty, the reason I'm calling this morning is to promote our drive-in bingo at uh, Jack Byrne Regional Sport and Entertainment Center. It's Wednesdays with the gates opening at 6 and bingo beginning at 7.15. We've got 
uh, over $3,000 in prizes that'll go, and we have an escalating jackpot that has now reached $1,514. So uh, Aperture did win a bunch of money and so hopefully support what uh, I certainly consider a great organization. Well, of course it is, and, you know, grown leaps and bounds. In fact, a variety of accomplishments to your credit, you know, whether it be with inpatient treatment at the Health Sciences Center or what have you. So hopefully people, and people love the bingo, boy. So hopefully they get down to support your organization. Torbay, the Jack Byrne, I call it Arena. What you call it? The Regional Sports Regional Center? Sport and Entertainment Center. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> we, we haven't changed. The name hasn't been changed on the building yet from Arena, but that's that's the official name. Sorry, I've I've been involved with the place too long, so I I, I know the name change. Oh, all good. I, I was just trying to recollect what you had said. Okay, so the uh, bingo. What time does it start? How many games? What's the jackpot? Gates will open at six o'clock. Bingo starts at seven fifteen. There's thirteen games. Uh, we have 50-50 tickets. We have Nevada tickets, et cetera. And, Patty, one last thing I would say is that, uh, and, I, and I think it's uh, the economic impact we're feeling. The first few weeks of bingo haven't been all that great. I'll, I'll be open and honest about that. And uh, depending on how we do this week, we may have to consider cutting short our 17 weeks because it's just not working out the way it did in the first two years. So if people come out tomorrow night, uh, we'll keep her going. I appreciate this. Fingers crossed for big crowd, Paul. Thanks, Patty. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. It's Paul Toomey, the Executive Director at the Eating Disorder Foundation. Okay, last break of the morning. We mentioned off the top of the show, Canada's uh, women's and men's ball hockey teams won the World Championships. For the women, it's back-to-back titles. And for the men, the first time in 15 years. Steve Power is the President of Ball Hockey Canada. He's in the queue. And then rec hockey legend Scotty Neal wants to talk about Alex and Hope. Don't go away. Oh, welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number six. Say good morning to the President of Ball Hockey Canada. Former technical director at the Avalon Celtics Minor Hockey Association, my buddy Steve Power. Steve, you're on the air. Morning, Penny. Morning to you. Listen, I know you weren't on the floor, but obviously extremely proud of the fact that we are world champions on both the women's and the men's side. For the women's back-to-back, for the men, first time in 15 years. Extraordinary. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, quite, it was quite something else. I mean, um, I've been president for six years. My term is coming up in about six weeks, so pretty nice to go out on top uh back to back in the ball hockey world is not an easy thing to do in fact i i can't remember when one country won both the men's and ladies championship there's always somebody's winning one or the other slovakia has been dominant in the men's game for the last uh eight years um we've been pretty good on the women's side but it's pretty special to win both and especially in canada here in montreal What's the state of ball hockey across the country? Because I see the same countries all the time, Slovaks and the Czechs and what have you. We have been uh, strong, especially, I guess, in the last few uh, or the last couple of worlds with the women's. What's the state of the sport? The real trick to it this time is we had the guys from Quebec. Um, there's a lot of talent in the province in Quebec, and they, a lot of them play three-on-three. They call it deck hockey. They don't play five-on-five ball hockey. We got some of these guys this time, and they were really the difference. I mean, the skill of the guys in the province of Quebec and a few of the girls on that team too was just off the charts. So what makes is it simply because of the three-on-three nature of the sport they play? They have different set of skills or speed, or what makes them better players? Yeah, it's a in the three-on-three game. It's a much a smaller area. It's almost like a smaller area game in minor hockey with the quick touches. You got to be very, very skilled, very highly, uh, very good thinkers. And these players, they're just on a different level, and we, we really saw it here this time here in Montreal. You know, some people will say, my God, what are we doing talking about ball hockey? It's just ball hockey. 
Ball hockey is actually a super intense sport. Yeah, if anybody's never seen, I mean, you can go online and see the games. Go through the uh, IS International Street and Ball Hockey Federation, the ISBHF. They have a website. You go on there, you can probably watch the games from the weekend, um, and you will be blown away. It's a very, very quick sport, very tough. You, you've got to be a strong person to play this sport. It, it requires some intestinal fortitude, for sure. No doubt about it. I know Connor Donahue was on the team, or at least I was told he was on the men's team. Any other locals on the men's side? No, Connor was our lone representative from the Rock. Uh, Connor played fantastic. He uh, saw a lot of power play time. Um, yeah, the pride of Sesame Park was really, really good for uh, for the men's team. <laughs> Terrific. And on the women's side, Shailen Clark, Don Talk, and Kristen Coos. So we had good representation on the ladies' side as well. I'm going to sneak out one more call, Steve. But uh, are you back yet? I'm not back yet. I'm in a hotel in Montreal. And just before you sneak it out, though, you mentioned Kristen Coos. Kristen Coos was actually inducted in the International Street Ball Hockey Federation Hall of Fame. Wow. That's pretty good. And then after the championship game, she's also named one of the top defense in the tournament. So that's that's a pretty rare feat. That's terrific. Listen, uh, thanks for making time this morning. Safe travels, and you and I have a scheduled chat for tomorrow on another matter. Looking forward to it. There you go. Take care. Okay, boss. All the best. Okay, Steve Power, President of Ball Hockey Canada. Let's go. Line number three. Good morning, Scotty Neal. You're on the air. Hey, Patty. How you doing, buddy? Couldn't be better. How about you? Patty, can you hear me? I can hear you pretty good. Yeah, go ahead. I think you have me on speaker or you're in the truck. I'm on the highway, boy, on the way to a salmon fishing trip. So, a boy. Um, just wanted to call in, Patty. Uh, little congratulations to Alex. And uh, as you know, I'm pretty close to the family. So, uh, had a great uh, couple of nights, uh, obviously, watching Alex. And uh, just wanted to throw it out there just how proud we are of him. Well, it's really something else. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it, just like everybody else is, the family, the friends, and the whole the whole kit and caboodle. I mean, we watched that game in the Newhook's backyard on Friday night, and just think about it. The next time, or one of the next times that we congregate up in the Newhook's backyard, the Stanley Cup is going to be there. It's just mind-blowing. It, and that's the only way to describe it. Um, <laughs> you, th- you think about it. I mean, yeah. we're just... Well, three years from Alex being drafted. This is his rookie season, technically. And he gets to hoist the Stanley Cup over his head. And the thrill from the video I saw up at the New Hooks the other night, I just don't know how Sean and Paula make it through. You know, I'd be just not only a bag of nerves, but I don't know if I'd be able to ever come down off the cloud nine ever again just based on that one achievement. And let's not forget, Alex has a huge career ahead of him. He's not just your hang-around on a hockey team. Alex is a contributor. He's going to have a bright future as a top six forward. So sky's the limit for that kid. And he's a lovely young man as well. Uh, Absolutely. You know, uh, just the accomplishments over the last 24 months. um, Playing with Team Canada, silver medal. Um, (laughs) Like my wife said, don't get emotional. But it's hard not to. Well, we've known for so long. You know, our boys played together. You know, on our, our street, our yeah. boys played. I mean, I don't know yeah. how many games of street hockey I had with Alex and Abby Newhook, but it's yeah. it's heartwarming. It's yeah. a great distraction. Like we had Mrs. Newhook on, uh, Alex and Abby's grandmother last week, and she spoke to <laughs> yeah. the distraction, you know, the pleasant enjoyment we're getting out of it, simply because there's so many other not great things happening that we all welcomed it. We're all still celebrating it, and I can't wait to see him bring that Stanley Cup home. Just imagine, on our street, up in the backyard, there's the cup. I mean, come on. It's going to be unbelievable. And uh, let me tell you, he's looking forward to it. Oh, no doubt he is. Uh, Scotty, appreciate the time. Safe travels and tight lines.
Atta boy. Appreciate it, Patty. See God bless. Sorry. You too, man. Bye-bye. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was quite the scene. <laughs> a lot of New York jerseys around, too. I can tell you that. All right. We're out of time. Good show today. Big thanks to everyone who supports the program, all of you callers, listeners, emailers, tweeters. You're all right. We will indeed pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye-bye.